Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here it comes again. Lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am your co-host, Christopher Mukigana harrington joined by the North by Northeast, my co-host, Mr. Brandon Howard Thurston. Brandon, how are you today? I'm wonderful. I'm fresh off a Google Trends binge, which I just shared with you just before we started recording. Yeah, and uh, while you were rebooting your robot powers, I already started analyzing it. It was intriguing to me. You did. Adding linear regressions and whatnot. You did. I have no idea what any of it means, but maybe you can explain it to us later. Uh, I, was, I meant to ask you, where do the Howard Thurstons hail from? What, what are you asking, like my ancestors? Yeah. I have no idea. I don't know. Uh, I've got, I think, like Irish and Italian and like some, some Native American. But my great-grandfather was like a full-blooded Native American and and Polish. The other, okay. The other quarter or so. I thought maybe you would be able to explain some of our popularity among certain countries of the world from your oh. ancestry that they felt, you know, a kinship. No, I don't think they care. They just, they just see me as a, you know, nerdy American. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I think I have Moldovian roots at really? one point in my life. Well, no, it's, it's, I have Germans that like moved to this corner of Russia. That's like Moldovia now. So, uh, if, if we have any Moldovian listeners, give me a shout out. I can give you some addresses you can go check out on my behalf but yeah just thought i'd ask because this is yet another edition of wrestlenomics radio a weekly edition which is always going to get a little weird because uh the the more weekly you get us the faster you discover how little we have to say uh this week i wanted to start us off by talking a little bit about some of the streaming services going on this weekend of course this is the weekend of the big mcgregor and mayweather fight but there's also triple mania is going to be streaming on twitch which is is pretty cool, and uh, there's a lot of in glo- and we just learned this week that Global Force Wrestling apparently is rolling out an OTT network of some kind, right? Yeah, apparently we missed this. I think we would could have known about this last week, but on the I think it's August seventeenth edition of Impact, which of course I didn't watch. Uh, they they announced that they're going to do a what is it a Global Wrestling Network is is the name of it, some sort of OTT service where they're even going to they say they're going to put on it. Uh, Impact itself will be available for free, which kind of sounds like the uh, the free tier of the theoretical W network we may see someday. Where not not that it would include Raw or SmackDown, but that there would be a free tier. There'd be some sort of free content you could get as a part of it. Though technically, it's saying episodes will be available for free. We don't know if those are the new episodes or whether those are just like archived episodes. You know, could watch. Be. Uh, I did watch GFW this week. Did I you? watched the uh, the Gauntlet 
uh, for the gold uh, that was won by Eli Drake last night. And uh, so he, he, he won the title. That was the title was vacated, right? I believe so. I think that's what was happening. I was just really excited to see Dick Justice on there. Oh, Richard yeah. Justice. He uh, came down, did a bunch of squats, got in the ring, did a bunch of squats, and then he got eliminated by EC3. So uh, it was it was very different than the Dick Justice you, uh, we might know and love. Yeah, I've had my runs with Dick Justice. He was at a wedding I was at once, and he nearly got naked on the dance floor. I'm sure he did. I'm sure that's absolutely true. <laughs> it is a 100% shoot story. Um, so have you found out anything else about this Global Wrestling Network? Have you seen any websites or anything for it? No, I, uh, I don't think there's any other information on it beyond this. Uh, I, I think within the same announcement where they announced they're going to do this OTT service, they also said that they're – their TV, just their TV show Impact, is coming back to Germany, Austria, and Switzerland sooner than later, whatever that means. You know, it's funny. I type in Global Wrestling Network, and the first hit is WrestleZone's announcement of the GFW announcement, and the second hit is WWN Live. So who knows what will happen here? Maybe uh, next thing we know, Flow Slam has acquired GFW for all we know. That's unlikely, but at least it is unlikely. <laughs> I mean, this is this is kind of one of the topics we've talked about it more than once. Uh, that TNA or now it's GFW doesn't have an OTT service. Ring of Honor doesn't have an OTT service, and they and they've got a lot of content out there. They got big libraries that. Well, people even last night were asking me, I don't get Impact, I don't get Pop. How can I watch this show? Huh. And you know, I was kind of like, I don't get access, so I don't feel like it's a fair trade for me. But, uh, you know, I, I suggested they move to India, which was not taken mm. well. But, uh, but yeah, it's it, there's people out there that seem like they do have an interest in trying to watch Impact. And so it is a challenge for them that they're on basically the TV Guide channel. Is it, and and is, it, is this program not available in HD at all? Is that still the case? I think that was the case at one time. I mean, Pop, as far as I know, doesn't broadcast in HD. So uh, I would imagine online, maybe if you have an Apple TV subscription and, and you can buy the episodes through Apple, which even that I'm not sure you can do anymore. Um, maybe then they would be uh, HD and maybe in, in the UK. Uh, I guess UK listeners, let us know. Do you get TNA Impact on in HD or not? Or our Indian listeners who might be list, who might be watching it on, is it Sony 6? Could be. <laughs> I don't even remember which station. Yeah, I think it is Sony Six because uh, that was what Ring Kaka and all that got the Kaking and all that got the deals up with. So that sounds right. Mm-hmm. But um, so I, I started off by mentioning the Twitch service, and so I actually even went on onto my phone and I downloaded the Twitch application today. Oh, there's there's a mobile app for this, huh? There is a mobile app for Twitch, and uh, immediately the first thing, of course, Twitch. As, as much like we've had some really good people who have, who have tried to educate us on e-gaming and, and Twitch and these services and they talk to about it. And as much as Twitch can be used for things besides live streaming gaming, it really still is a live streaming gaming service. So like even when you sign up, it won't even let you like get past the first screen until you choose three video games that you like so it can suggest people to you. So it's clever in the sense that, like, unlike Twitter or something, it does a good job of, like, trying to seed your feed in the beginning so that you have something to look at that will be interest to you. Sounds like Netflix but, where they, they want to ask you what, what your favorite movies are to rate them or whatever. Yeah, but it, it's even more than – like, I literally couldn't get to the next screen until I chose some games. Mm-hmm. And so it was – for me, as someone who doesn't play 
you know, Overpower or or Warcraft and all these other games, I had to dig in pretty deep to try to think of the games that I would actually want to have on my feed. So it's a bunch of Dragon Quest and even like Maniac Mansion and Day of the Tentacle weren't even choices. So I was most disappointed. But yeah, I finally signed in and then I went looking for the Triple H channel. No Mercy an option? Oh, I, I'm sure it was. Uh, really? All the Fire Pro games were. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, okay. so I'm sure. I'm sure there was no mercy. I didn't even think to I thought choose it was being that. Smartass and like. No, no, no. Because I mean, I found like lots of, lots of like Dragon Quest three and Dragon, you know, games that like I don't think people even streaming or Game Boy games or whatnot. But, um, what was interesting is then I went looking for the AAA channel, and that took a little bit while until I could finally just find the press release which had it. And so if anyone else is out there, get, is going to get the show in time to actually uh, uh, check themselves and they want to watch Triple Mania, uh, it is, the channel is called Lucha Libre AAA, and there's a second channel called Lucha Libre AAA underscore EN. And apparently they're going to be doing a free stream of uh, uh, Triple Mania this this weekend, which uh, will have the big uh, Psycho Clown versus uh, Wagner Jr. match, I believe, as the uh, big big thing. I linked to the uh, Fightful article in our notes here. Right. But, and, uh, and, and that Lucha Libre AAA name, it kind of reflects – so AAA recently uh, renamed themselves or sort of rebranded themselves. Now they're just Lucha Libre AAA Worldwide as opposed to uh, the, the whatever – I don't want to try to pronounce uh, in Spanish what the AAA stood for. Oh yeah, Assistencia yeah, Administración, something like that. There he goes. Yeah, look at this guy; he's got it. So, yeah, that was. I thought that was interesting, and and so I do hope that I actually do get around to watching that a little bit, and I'll probably go to my Roku and see if I can download the uh, Twitch app there as well and uh, check it out. And then people pointed out that Wrestle Circus has already been on on Twitch for a while, right. and they have a live stream of all their old shows. I mean, more like a running stream of their old shows and they do do shows there. So there, there are definitely people that are taking advantage of the service. And if you want to talk about a service that skews very young and, you know, technologically inclined, you know, it pretty much doesn't get any more than, than it's Snapchat and then Twitch. Right. So it's interesting to see, you know, that kind of being used. And I was kind of curious and it's, and what I did not, I mean, this shows how ignorant I've been of Twitch all, all this time is that Twitch is actually owned by Amazon and they were acquired several years ago. And so actually, if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, you can get like the Twitch premium channel subscription for free every month. You can like choose one channel to get for free. And uh, that was a big shock to me. Like that's not something I really was aware of that there was there's a thing going on. And I was just kind of curious, what are your thoughts about, you know, the Amazon Twitch behemoth and the power of something like that for like a wrestling company? So, so first of all, there's there's channels on here that you have to pay for. I think so. There's like there's like certain pre- I'm, we're we're so well prepared to discuss right. this. What is subject. Twitch? <laughs> what is but Twitch? There are like premium channels as well as like just free channels, as far as I can tell. Right. Point is, you can go on to Twitch and watch AAA and Russell Circus. These are both free. These are not these are not pay per view situations. These are just watch it for free via this thing. Although um, Russell Circus, they at least Russell Circus. I don't know if AAA will for Triple Mania, but they had um, you could essentially tip the wrestlers, which which kind of sounds like lucha libre, right? Where we hear about when there's really good lucha libre matches in Mexico, people start throwing money in the ring, and that's sort of a digital version of of, of what they're trying to create here. Um, but who knows? I, I wrote something in the notes here where it, maybe it will make sense that something like like Twitch could become big in in the wrestling industry as as far as a platform where you can 
put on a, an event sort of on not on TV, obviously, but like, OK, I want to get this in front of the largest audience possible and I want to do it live. How do you do that? Other than this, is there really a platform for that? There's kind of some promotions have done like a YouTube live. Some promotions do a, a Facebook live. And maybe this is a more high tech version of that. It will be interesting, though, to see like when I signed up and added that I wanted to follow this channel, I think it said it had 860 fans, which is not an impressive number. For that, that's AAA or for the yeah, the AAA okay. I, for like both of the, the services, both the main channel and the English one. And granted, we're only a few days into the experiment and yeah. they haven't done the live thing yet. So it it's, remains to be seen. But I was a little surprised that it wasn't like, you know, 10,000 or 20,000 the way a YouTube uh, page can get pretty quickly. Um, right. And as, the as other far thing, as live streaming and when, when we're talking about AAA uh, in, in years past, the show has both become notorious <laughs> for its terrible streams and commentary. Right. Like, the, like the, the stream is not good. The commentary has received a lot of criticism and even the matches themselves haven't haven't been very good. So all that stuff. uh added together uh, aren't, aren't giving AAA a very good uh, brand value, I would say, at this point. But I think that that's an issue that's that has been experienced uh, whenever promotions have tried to live stream one of the wrestling events, whether, it was, whether it's Ring of Honor or even at times Evolve. Um, there's a point that I heard Dylan Hales make um, on a podcast for uh, Pro Wrestling Ponderings this week where I think one, one of the reasons why they don't want to stream the SCI tournament uh, that that just happened is because the story then becomes not just oh there was a really great match or the, this really great thing happened the story you know the buzz becomes I was watching the stream and the stream was terrible and oh the main event it cut out or or whatever you know so I think sure that thing, sure the that Ring of Honor syndrome where they were putting on incredible shows but right. all everyone talked about was you know the the lousy win backs that Gabe would put out of you can get 50% off this event in the restream in six weeks from now, this yeah. and that. And, you and, know, that, and it, I think uh, that really breaks people's trust in terms of, well, I'm, I'm not going to buy this thing again. I got, you know, I spent $10 or whatever it is on this thing and like, and I'm pissed off because the, the stream broke or whatever. So it, I think it really breaks the fans trust going forward. So that they, that's one reason why a promotion like the, like the promotion that does SCI is sticking with VOD because the live streaming option just isn't reliable enough yet. Though I, I do think you have to end up being the PWG of the world. Sure. And, and always... we're talking a smaller promotion, not something the size of AAA. Yeah. But I just mean like to, to have people care about tape delay footage of what you're doing is that I feel like we're getting more and more away from the time that people want to consume that kind of media, especially in such a delayed format, because I think people enjoy the communal ability to to enjoy something and then also talk about it in real time with other people. Yeah, that's and that's harder to do when you when you're on tape delay, because it's much easier to you know watch some SummerSlam live and tweet about it than it is to try to convince a bunch of people that at the same time we're going to watch something that's already been recorded. Yeah, I, like, and that definitely reflects my fandom and the way that I'm consuming wrestling. Is if it's not live, I don't really want to watch it. Um, I Occasionally, up... I'll, I'll go see if, if someone live gives a huge review of it. Like, I remember there was that crazy match that High Spots had over WrestleMania weekend. I went out of my way to try to watch that. But those are rare and far and few between. 
Oh, it was like the crazy eight man flying match with if I say it's with Will Osprey, he was in like 20 matches that weekend. Uh, Ricochet and all them where they chose like their favorite flyers and Meltzer was like, this is the future of wrestling and and so forth. But like PWG is that way, too, where, you know, sometimes people afterwards will talk so much hype about it. Then you kind of want to go out of your way to see certain matches. But I, I do feel like I'm the same way, which is live makes a big difference to me. For I will consume something that I'm not that interested if I'm doing it live with a bunch of other people that I will never go out of my way to watch by myself. Twitch Prime is a service that offers advertising free streaming and monthly offers of free add-in content known as game loot and game discounts. It is available in the United States but not in Mexico, Japan, India, and other embargoed territories. So think of it more probably like YouTube Red or something where it's it's more the ad free version of of you know the same service. Embargoed territories. I think that's the phrase that they used. It was it was rather amusing. But yeah, I agree. I think uh, you know a service like an Amazon type service is if I'm trying to get people to become interested in my platform, I think you have a lot better chance using a Twitch type thing than you do using a Flow Slam, and. It's a strong argument to be made. Maybe maybe you're better choosing the niche service that already has the people that want to buy stuff. But on the flip side, I, I look at it kind of like a free wrestling content on Roku, and it's out there and it exists. And you know, I bet you it gets a ton of downloads just because people are people are cheap, <laughs> and and uh, it's always best to go where the eyeballs already are, in my opinion. So I, I don't think it's a bad strategy to do a lot of stuff with this Twitch. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a common theme between I think two things we're going to talk about here is that these wrestling streaming services or things like Twitch and Flow Slam, and then we're going to talk later about the the Reddit survey and about how lots of people want to read wrestling news, lots of people but don't want to pay for it. <laughs> lots of people regard the Observer as credible, but not many people want to pay for the Observer. So, I think it's a it's a big question. Probably in all eyeballs media. versus wallets, man. Yeah, this big question in in probably all of media going forward is, well, where are we going to try to make our money? Is it going to be ad supported or is it going to be subscriber supported? Well, you know, this podcast is, in a sense, subscriber supported because we have patrons who go out there to go to p a t r e e o n dot com slash russellnomics. Yeah. And they sign up and they support the show. And it's funny because when I you know, reached out and I said, what do people want in exchange for supporting the show? And most people just said, I'm happy to support the things I like. It's, and it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the PB, PBS, NPR, public broadcasting model, isn't it? Yeah. And I think we don't have real ads, but we have special people's members who just want to give us money and we'll take, you know, something like a coffee cup, you know, as yeah. consolation. Speaking of which, we should make WrestleNomics coffee cups. That's actually, of go. all the ideas we've had, fidget spinners and coffee cups are, are probably the top two right now. And uh, I feel like the coffee cup would get a lot more usage. That's right. We, we've got so much business smarts here. We should uh, be, be monetizing and marketing this like nobody else. Um, I want to talk about this WWE survey I got. It was uh, pretty extensive. It was all of one question. <laughs> and it just said... This is, this is the fan council survey, right? I assume, you know, it, it, it just shows up in your email and it just says, can you please take this one question survey? So I, I clicked on the survey and then it, it listed about 70 people and it said, who are your favorite 10 people? Mm. And uh, what was interesting about it was, uh, A, 
you know, I, I did screenshot this on uh, both my blog and on Twitter. So if people are, are looking to see the list and they want to figure out for themselves who they would choose, um, what was interesting was number one, they had some of the newer wrestlers listed on there. So Kylie, Kyle O'Reilly and Shelton Benjamin were on the list, even though both of them, I think I got the survey on, um, let's see here. Was it Wednesday or Thursday? Probably Thursday. Yeah. It was, I got it on Thursday. And, and of course, Shelton Benjamin was just kind of announced finally is actually coming back on Tuesday. And Kyle O'Reilly really just debuted on, um, at, uh, takeover. So I was surprised well, that Kyle O'Reilly had been on NXT TV before that, but Adam Cole oh, yeah. had not. And, oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Adam Cole. So you're right. Actually, Adam Cole is not on that list, but, um, but just Shelton was, and, and sometimes these surveys can Bobby fish is not on that list either for whatever that's worth. Good point. Uh, they, that sometimes they feel really dated, but this time at least it seemed kind of up to date. And then uh, there's a lot of authority figures mentioned. So Shane, Stephanie, triple H, Daniel Bryan, Foley, um, a lot of teams were listed. So Brizongo, the Singh brothers, Hardy boys, the colognes, the Ascension, the authors of pain, heavy machinery, street profits, sanity, though gallows and Anderson was separate, which, uh, was, was kind of unusual to me, I Ooh. thought, but then again, they don't really have a name for that tag team officially on TV. Do they, the I know they're the club I sometimes, guess. but I don't know if they still the club gallows and Anderson. Yeah. One time they were the doctors and they had Dana Brooke in the doctor outfit. That's right. But, uh, yeah, so that was interesting. And so, of course, being the person I am, as soon as I finish the survey, you know, it takes you to a, a website. I think it was called like wwesurvey.com. And I just did a quick Google search to see, you know, what other links you can find going to this. And the first thing that came up was the November 2016 survey. And uh, a couple months ago, I actually detailed a whole bunch of surveys I found for WWE and took pictures of all the, the pages. But I went through this uh, November 2016 survey and uh, it was interesting because the first thing was it was much longer. I think it was 20 questions, 22 questions. So I thought it was intriguing that this time they decided to go with a one-question survey. So that says something about maybe some of the response rates that they've been getting on these things that people have been quitting or it's just much easier for them to kind of get the quick response there. Uh, number two was uh, they separated the male and the female superstars in the old survey where they would say who are your fa favorite male wrestlers, who are your favorite female wrestlers. They asked you to rank the Raw SmackDown NXT – I'm sorry, Raw SmackDown NXT, and then they wanted you to rate the divisions of cruiserweight, men's, women's tag, like rank them from favorite to worst. Um, and then they had their eras, and uh, this is actually the thing that generated the most like discussion on Twitter was the 82 to 89 was called the 80s boon. 90 to 95 was the new generation, which as a lot of people said, 1990 is a pretty early cutting point for them. Uh, 96 to 2000 was called the Attitude Era. 2001 to 2004 was the post-Monday Night War Era. And then 2005 to now was the present modern era. And it, it made me wonder if that's how they've like segmented their fans internally in some ways, where they found you know these are each the, the, the quartiles that are large enough, or quintiles, I guess in this case, that we can put a large portion of our fans into one of these buckets and uh, it says something about maybe w when they're rolling out content, which one of these buckets they might be thinking about. So what what use would this have? I guess you just kind of said it when they're when they're rolling out content. I guess yeah. Do you wanna do you wanna put out things like W house shows from the eighties? Do you want to put out more Monday Night Wars documentaries or whatever? You know, like they just released that unreleased DVD matches from nineteen eighty seven to ninety six or eighty six to ninety five which had everything from, you know, 
the warrior hidden gems yeah the hidden gems where oh no no it wasn't hidden gems it's a dvd that uh just came out and so it has like oh that's right okay. warriors dingo warrior it has a hogan flair match it has the toxic turtles barry hardy and Dwayne gill in a ninja turtle knockoff that they did for a wrestling challenging challenge taping in 93 it has uh you know lots of just tag matches you know it has hogan's last match in 93 right after um right before he left things like that wow. so it's it, it's wb unreleased 1986 to 1995 yeah so it, another good example of that that would be perfectly in their 80s boom to the new generation is who they'd be you know and and i've talked about how i get you know quote-unquote custom emails all the time from wwe where they'll say hey i'm the miz come watch me on television this week you know those sort of things and uh i was i was joking that you know they were going to create merchandise based on who i said my favorite wrestlers were so i was going to get a luke harper calendar where every day is just gonna be. It's January 9th. You know what that means. It's January 10th. You know what that means. That's a great idea. Um, and then uh, they asked you about your favorite WWE superstar, which was interesting because it wasn't everybody. You there was only certain people listed. And keep in mind the survey was from like November of 2016, but it included people like the Hardy Boys. Um, it had uh, active people like Cesaro, Page, Orton, Jericho, Styles, Kevin Owens, Bailey, Oscar, Roman Reigns, Cena, Enzo Amore, Becky Lynch, and Dean Ambrose. And uh, other choices for your favorite superstar did include, of course, Undertaker and Triple H, but it also had Shane, had CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Goldberg, Lesnar, and then they listed Hulk Hogan, who's on the outs. They had both Mankind and Mick Foley listed separately. Um. And then they asked you questions like, uh, when's the last time you bought something like uh, uh, a feature film with a WWE superstar or tickets to an event or apparel or a DVD? And uh, one of the questions they had, which I thought was really interesting, is they said, what is your favorite type of WWE network show? And the choices were lifestyle reality, current pay-per-view, reality competition, documentaries, classic pay-per-views, adult animation, in-ring programming, kids animation, sports talk – and reality comedy. And most of those, you, you kind of would have an idea what they're talking about. You know, adult animation is, is Camp WWE and kids animation is Slam City. But it's interesting that they call reality competition is things like Cruiserweight Classic or 205 Live. And in-ring programming is Main Event and NXT. And I do know Which that... Which makes no sense. Well, both Main Event and NXT have television contracts in certain countries of the world. Whereas 205, 205 Live does not. No. Uh, even though it, it took over for Superstars, Superstars wasn't airing. I I don't think Two Hundred Five Live is aired anywhere in the world. Oh really? I I would be I will be very curious. Someone can correct me, but I'm unaware of anywhere in the world where they actually air that show. Hmm. And so, I I just think that's probably why they changed the two. But I thought it was interesting that you know they think about those in those buckets. And if you were ever to say, you know, a couple months, quarters ago, Vince McMahon talked about you know how we want to hit everything on all four court quadrants. He was talking about, and I think this is a good example of these are the type of programming choices that they think a network should have, and that they think appeals to different people at different ages and different demographics. And so this is the kind of thinking they have of what they think they're doing to fill in the gaps to make it more attractive to women or older fans or, you know, current fans or whatever it is. But uh, I just thought it was really unusual. Like we say that reality competition. So like the Mae Young classic would be separated from in-ring programming, but there is something to be said for that, that the way I consumed the cruiserweight classic was a lot different than the way I consume NXT. 
I don't watch NXT every single week, but I tried to watch a lot of the Cruiserweight Classic. Same with the May. But, but I don't think there's that much difference between NXT and 205 Live in this categorization. No, I would agree. And and this also goes back to the uh, kind of bipolarness of 205 Live, where if you're an investor and you don't watch the product, you'd think 205 Live was the hottest show they had. Yeah. Because they, they talk it up every every chance they get, whereas, you know, the behind the scenes kind of thing makes it sound like it's always on the verge of the chopping block. So I, I thought that was just a really interesting uh, survey that they did. Um, and, and it just kind of spoke to kind of some of the ways that they segment their audience and whatnot. So I think the website is wwesurvey.com, something like that. And it doesn't work, of course, if you just type that in. But uh, if you do a little – no, it's something – similar to that but it's not quite wwsurvey.com so so they just did this one question survey all all those questions that we were just talking about were from november 2016 right well i think it is when you when you google it that's what it shows up as being okay so you didn't receive that you just you found this one i found the, it, the, yeah. the one from november yeah okay yeah so but anyway they so they did this one question survey just now this month in, in august so what do you what do you think prompts this like what what what's the problem they're trying to solve were they trying to figure out are they sitting around going you know, we need to push somebody. I'm just not sure who. Let's survey the fans. Could be. I mean, I, I think they they probably are doing it periodically so that they can see of people who are coming out of SummerSlam, you know, maybe even looking towards people that maybe were watching a lot of events this weekend or not watching events and trying to think about where they may, may want to go in the next few months. Um, could be for merchandise, for sure. You know, if you find out that, 25% of your audience wants Enzo Amore, and uh, regardless of how things are going with him personally, uh, you might start making some more Enzo merch. So, you know, I, I think a lot of it is going to be more on that. And, you know, WCW used to do fa- fan favorability surveys all the time. So, you know, big companies do that. And it's something that, you know, is, is wrestling is kind of lacked behind a lot of the times is actually trying to come up with hard analytics to kind of explain the gut feelings that are going on for some of the decisions. I'm, I'm not saying we should decide who's going to be the champion by straw poll, but uh, it, I think definitely for who you might want to put on television a little bit more or whatnot or who might be connecting with people in a way that you don't expect. I do think, you know, it would be funny to see someone numbers like Dolph Ziggler if you were doing this month over month and be like, what is his num- what happens to his numbers if he's off TV for a month? Yeah, I think you can look at Google Trends, too, and see how people fluctuate when they're off TV and when they're when they're not on TV. And I looked at the, a handful of, of the female wrestlers a few weeks ago, and I, I felt that you can see. I don't have the, the the chart in question in front of me, but you can see things were like Sasha Banks got, was getting popular, but then she she went down. Alexa Bliss goes way up. It's um, wweresearch.com, which is a, a a website you'd think I would have already owned. Yeah. You don't own that domain. I, apparently not. But yeah, when you go and look uh, and do a little site, wweresearch.com, the first thing that comes up is preference study November 2016 final. So. That's how I had found it originally. And in fact, actually, my link still works and takes me in. So maybe I can just keep going in and voting Bo Dallas, mainly for that jacket. Um, I have not been able to get the white paper yet, but Comscore wrote a, a piece called The Top 10 Mobile Apps by Penetration of App Audience. Okay, you haven't gotten it either because I, I thought that this was something they had to accomplish for the homework for WrestleNomics Radio. So you have to go in there and sign up, and I was waiting for my email back. Like, well, they didn't email me back. Oh, did you Did you have a corporate email to use? 
at brandonatflightful.com. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah, I wrote I wrote them a press inquiry, and uh, they promptly ignored me. Which oh, is, really? I, I've been that's happened a few times. I was also ignored by the USCIS, uh, the government agency that does uh, citizenship and immigration records, and uh, they wrote me back saying they did not believe I was a member of the press. And so, <laughs> you know, they're they're actually pretty lenient on that kind of stuff. I just didn't provide any massive backup in my original uh, request. So they basically said we we are leaving you as a public requester and not as a media requester for the time being until you prove otherwise. So you you, you need to email them back saying, hey, listen, I am a member of the Gotcha Media, <laughs> and and you can see references to my stories in the Wrestling Observer where they they might not, might not credit me by name but at least by publication. Yes, yes. So the CM Punk story was in the Daily Update on Monday, and was in the uh, it was. It, and it was in the Observer by Thursday. So. Uh, the punk story got out again, and there was a, a whole nother round of indign- indignation from people uh, as they they played a uh, uh, pocket lawyer and jumped out. Oh, really? oh, just just the normal things of people kind of freaking out and being like, I can't believe that you know WWE wouldn't pay the cost of a quarter million dollar discovery charge themselves against a guy they don't like very much. Be <laughs> like, really? You you really can't believe that? Huh? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, back to the top 10 mobile apps, uh, there's a little infographic and they were saying, you know, this is a 18 plus and it's mobile apps by penetration of app audience. However it is, you calculate something like that. And, um, this is the U S numbers, which makes sense because when I read this list off, I think any of our international listeners will be like, well, where's this, where's this? But, uh, number one was Facebook at 81%. Number two was YouTube at 71. Number three was Facebook messenger at 68 uh, which says a lot about you know Facebook's desire to make that its stand its own standalone app, and uh, yeah, they they force you to have it now. Yeah, yeah, they you know that? that was a big strategy in Facebook why they were doing that is to kind of make it its own thing so that they could fight with a lot of the other you know standalone messaging. You apps. can't send a Facebook message on mobile without Facebook Messenger. Like you used to be able to do it on Facebook itself, but no more. If you want to send a direct message to someone, you have to have that app. But man, already number three. Uh, app here ahead of number four google search which is of course not native to uh, iphone so that's why it, it would not be so high uh, number five was google maps though which is obviously a lot of people prefer over apple maps number six was instagram number seven was snapchat number eight was google play number nine was gmail number 10 was pandora so i was you know obviously internationally th- things like the uh the whatsapp app would be and is it what's yeah. is it what's up app or what's app? I'm, I mean, what's app? What's I'm pretty sure. yeah? That would be really huge as a messaging app in other countries and where, especially where Facebook is not quite as popular. But um, just I was just thinking about this in terms of you know where has WWE branded itself? And it's huge on Facebook. It's huge on YouTube. It's huge on um. It has some Instagram presence. It's growing their Snapchat presence. Um. Obviously, they can't really. I guess you could have a Pandora station, but <laughs> notice Twitter is not on this list. Yeah, that is really surprising. Now that I think about mm-hmm. that, that's really, really surprising. Twitter's not on that top list there. I mean, look, Instagram has completely eclipsed Twitter. I, I, I haven't looked at what the, what I think the the metric that people like to look at is active monthly users, and it's it's Instagram is way overtaken Twitter in the last couple of years. But again, that's it gets into both demographics and also usage patterns. Like people use Instagram and Twitter so differently. Um, you know, for me, Twitter is a, is a great news app and is a good link finder and all this other stuff for me. 
but yeah, that's. I, th- I think it's great for people who are have niche interests yeah. that don't get covered well through other means. So they need these sort of aggregators or uh, pr- procurement tools to to get the stuff that they want. And versus for me, like a photo app is like, you know, unless it's numbers, I have no interest in looking at it. It's like you have an Instagram account. I do, and if you ever look, I update it almost once a year. It's usually like pictures of like a Beetlejuice figurine I found at the half price bookstores. Or I just got a tooth installed this week, so you, you'll actually see pictures of me smiling again for the first time in like two years. There's a wrestling school that, that I'm very involved in, and we started a, an Instagram account. I feel like there's a lot of activity on our Instagram account relative to the other platforms. Like Twitter is nothing. Facebook's a little bit. And Facebook, the way the Facebook algorithm works with pages is that you, you don't necessarily – not every post that you make gets, gets in the feed of, of every follower you have on Facebook, whereas on Instagram, that is the case. Speaking of which, we have a Facebook account. If you go to facebook.com slash WrestleNomics and you'll get the WrestleNomics radio page. And uh, we invite you to like us on Facebook um, as we continue to post articles and links and things there. Um, yeah. But yeah. You can follow us on Instagram too. There probably might never be an update on there, but you can yeah. follow us on Instagram <laughs> at WrestleNomics. I've, I've had good – good background with getting attention through facebook um when when i was running the improv company we did almost all our business through facebook and we had an instagram and we had twitter and we would get nothing it was yeah yeah and with the indie that i'm involved at esw like facebook is really important for us i think face i would say facebook for for esw is is of the four big platforms is is the most important one that's where a lot of our news gets our like match announcements and event announcements that's that's really big for us bigger than twitter um, if maybe if, if if ESW was like more of a super indie style indie, maybe Twitter would be more important. But Facebook is is the most important one. Speaking of big announcements, what's the next big announcement for the match you'll be involved in? By the time most anybody hears this, it will have already happened. But I'll be wrestling big time Bill Collier uh, on Saturday night, August. What is going to be twenty sixth at St. John's Air Fire on North Tonawanda. Does anyone claim to be medium time? I don't know. Hey, you, you might find this interesting. So there's this wrestler named Big Time Bill Collier. I've wrestled many times. He, he, he's he's a big guy. He's in great shape. He's a very good worker. Um, but so his his nickname, Big Time, we've got a bunch of on, – on the Empire State Wrestling YouTube page, there's a bunch of videos of his matches, right? And so we got like a, a, a copyright claim against us because there's this wrestler out there who has a copyright on Big Time. And he, he got our videos of, of Big Time Bill Collier taken off of YouTube. Oh, my lord. Yep. I, I got it years ago. I don't know whether it's true or not, but um, when I when I was wrestling and uh, it was was El Simar and uh, my partner was at the time El Generic, uh, later E L Generic. But uh, apparently, not, not to be confused with El Generic. Well, I think El Generico sent an angry email to El Eddie. Generic allegedly telling him to stop to knock it off, or that or a promoter told him to knock it off, saying that it was too close. And uh, God help you if uh, you thought you were going to see El Generico and instead Mark Haas and I came out through those to the prices right music. Was Mark Haas El Generic? Perhaps. 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 I cannot confirm or deny, cannot that. Confirm or deny that. That is true. Okay. Even even El Simar was, was replaced once or twice with other people. So, you know, you never know who's under that mask. Sin Cara was hardly the first. Talking about uh, surveys and things. Uh, I pointed out to you that the the I, I'm always confused. We call it Reddit, but with a W, but mm-hmm. Squared Circle is the name of the subreddit, and so yeah. it's just funny that everyone refers to it as W Reddit when it's Squared Circle. But that's just old man Harrington. Um, 
they did a census that uh, was kind of hidden away in a corner on the page there. And I don't think a lot of people like it says new rules and sentence census. Look, you goofs. And I can imagine why most people did not feel like reading the rules again. But the census was interesting because it had about 8000 people or so filled out this survey they did. And it's this is posted on June 28th, by the way. Yeah, it, it's pretty clear that, you know, the survey was the sort of survey that someone puts out who doesn't actually have any experience in surveying people because some of the choices and some. Is, of the, is that why I looked like my survey? Yeah, no, well, you know, it, it's funny because I've talked to people occasionally who do do these kind of like professional surveys and they'll pick apart, you know, why it's a bad survey. And I can't say I've learned from them because I still would do poor surveys, but at least I could recognize that mine is a poor survey. And just reading this, just the fact it starts off with male, female, prefer not to say. And then the first comment is I should have added non-binary. It's like I think that wouldn't have been a hard one to figure out on your own. But yeah, just – but it, the point here is uh, number one fact about Reddit, the uh, the squared circle subreddit is 94.7 percent male versus 4.4 percent female versus 0.9 percent prefer not to say and of course we don't know if this is statistically relevant or um a decent sample because it's all self-selection of who took this survey but i think it holds very close to some of the other numbers i'd seen ryan cars and that is a pretty big sample this is yeah eight thousand people's a lot yeah no no i'm not doubt denying that i'm just saying it's possible there are more women who read it but choose not to sign in and take a survey um, but you know, Ryan Kars several years ago did a, a, uh, a, a dissertation called like, is pro wrestling a form of journalism or something like that? And he did a Reddit survey at that time. And he came up with a number that was like 96% male, uh, at the time on the same forum. So I, I think it's pretty consistent year over year and says a little bit about the quote unquote divas revolution in terms of its influence on certain pockets of the, uh, internet wrestling news culture. And discussion culture, which is some places are still very predominantly male voices compared to even what WWE internally would say, which is they're more like two thirds male, one third female in terms of their viewership. It's almost as if the more hardcore you get, the more male it gets. Yeah, I mean, we, I think we'd be better off talking to people who are in the community and, and their experiences, kind of what what has driven them from forums or kept them in forums and places. But uh for sure, there's there's a lot of talk about just, you know, the way that things are dissected and analyzed and uh, uh, discussed might be more popular in, in one group than another group. Because, uh, you know, it's like sports journalism or something else where I'm, I imagine there's a lot of that, too, that is, is kind of has the same kind of arguments going on in the forum boards. Um, how old are you? You know, 32 uh, percent of the, the group was between 19 and 23 and they were shocked that 13 people chose 60 plus as their age. And I guarantee you, if you go on the observer board, you can find at least a dozen people over the age of 60 pretty darn quickly. Um, you, right. So in, in the familiarity study that I did in December, I got responses. I got was it something like, let's see, what have I got here? 500, 600, something like that. Or maybe not. Yeah, 585. And they were from Twitter the squared circle reddit subreddit um and from a link in the daily update on the the observer site and without going through numbers that would probably be not be uh, interesting to hear in, in audio but the the observer site skewed way older than reddit or twitter and reddit w was younger than twitter and twitter was a little bit older twitter in between and then in the observer site we've got you know about a quarter of the of the observer responses were 45 and over 
And we also have the sporting news survey that was done about wrestling fans, MMA fans, and and uh, boxing fans a couple of years ago. And that's another example of where you can see kind of Scarborough report, sorry, right? yeah, that that the sporting news people reported on, or Sports Business Daily, it might have been. Um, and and again, what you see is it's closer to the television demographics, which is more like a forty-five year old person watching a lot of this stuff. And so it's interesting to see kind of some of the forum communities that skew really young. Which, you know, if you're a wrestling group, you should be excited about because, hey, you have to build new fans. You have to bring in new people. And a lot of these people aren't necessarily living off the nostalgia of the Rock and Stone Cold era. But at the same time, uh, it also says a lot about what they love or what they hate might not be indicative of the greater uh, population of people watching your product right now and the people that have stuck around with you for the longest. You know, actually, these things kind of reflect which platforms the, the older platforms have the older audience doesn't like the observer has the oldest audience twitter is it's probably older than reddit or at least in terms of yeah popular yeah. first uh so twitter is in the middle and then the, the youngest is reddit and that's got the youngest audience for sure and and it's also the freeness the 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 concept of what is free and what is what what you can kind of go off on and, and post longer things it's amazing to me you know like when my cm punk article was posted on reddit you know you're gonna get 300 times the number of comments on reddit if your article is read than what you'll actually get on the article itself and some of those comments are just people saying can you please post the article here and then it's followed up by people saying oh my god that's long as fuck and it just blows me away that like uh, literally 2,000 words is considered too long for some people to consume on an article about something and did that happen on the CM Punk one? Yeah, absolutely. Really? Yeah, and, and wow. then then when I, I posted later and said, hey, I wrote this article. If anyone has questions, you know, I'd be happy to, you know, give give some feedback, you know, try to spur some more discussion. And the first article I – w- I would think the moderators would have something to say about that, right? Like I think they should because when you're you, – when you don't click on the article, you're not going to the website. You're not driving the ad revenue for that site, which doesn't seem fair unless – Unless you maybe you're a, you're a PW insider and you've got like a ton of ads and supposedly people are getting spyware allegedly from from going to PW insiders, so and that's, maybe it's justified. To their credit, a lot of the a lot of the other posters then like criticized the people doing that for exactly they that. shot them down, right? They shouted them down, and then they the, the the defense given was, well, I bet you this is just copy and paste news, anyways. And someone else, and so I had to reply to that, and I was like, no. I wrote this article. I published it here. I was paid for this article there. I, I would appreciate if you, you know, I didn't even have to write. I would appreciate if you would read the article where it's published. But what was funny is that when people recopied the article and pasted it, it became a giant block of text. And so then when I said, hey, I'm here to answer questions, the first comment someone had was learn to paragraph. And, huh. and somebody else said, I don't understand what this guy's problem is. And, and a third person chimed in and is like, yeah, he didn't read the actual article. He read the block of text someone else below this posted. And it just kind of shocked me that like we live in an age where people don't even have time to click on a link and see what something says. They say, can you please just post it here? And I get that some places are banned at work. Like, you know, there are websites like a a website called Fightful.com. I could see them saying, hey, this might contain violence, so we can't allow this at our workplace. I've seen filters like that. Like my wife works for the state and she's told me before that there's like strange – Filters in terms of what like their their government software will have to say what you can. And especially can't. new sites like like Fightful is a newer site. So like at my work, I wasn't able to get to Fightful until relatively recently. 
So I, I get that, but it's just funny to me sometimes that, you know, people will say things like, oh, 2,000 words is too long or uh, learn to paragraph. You know, they'll, they'll give you criticism on an article that they didn't actually read themselves. And that right. just blows me away that how 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 many people are willing to post a comment without even just Googling something for five seconds to see if it would make sense. Right. Absolutely. I, I think. And I don't know. Maybe it's the child. Maybe maybe it's the fact there's so many very young people here that it's just not yeah. that that sense has not set in with them to think, what would happen if I thought before I wrote? <laughs> and and there's anonymity, so there's less of a consequence. And and people are people are jerks. You know, not everyone. <laughs> we we deal with a really nice subset of wrestling fans that are really well educated and interested in talking about things. And there's a, there's a lot of people that are jerks or just very ignorant and they're willfully yeah. ignorant. So it's not none of them are WrestleNomics listeners, though. The only only polite, respectful, intelligent people listen to WrestleNomics radio. We hope. Yeah. But I don't know when, when my stuff makes it to Reddit. Sometimes sometimes I don't even read the comments because I know it's it's going to be just an avalanche of half informed statements. So it's like I don't know. I, I'm, I'm glad that it's on there and, and more people see it and potentially click on it and read it. But I don't. I don't care that much about the comments because I know they're going to be kind of like what you said. They're going to be a lot of ill-informed people or they're, you know, it's a too, too long, didn't read thing. That's what they want. They want to con- consume and understand this in a few seconds and, you know, have an opinion about it and move on. And so, and, and to to his credit, too, I thought Dave actually did a decent job summarizing the um, uh, what exactly was happening in the CM yeah. Punk case in The Observer in a way that made it clear he himself had gone through and read some of these documents rather than just try to streamline what I said, which was... Yeah, D- Dave will always do his work. Which was hilarious. The I think it was Daily DDT, which rewrote my article in, like, the most amazing detail without actually rewriting my article. Like, yeah. literally took, like, every sentence and found a way to try to, like, rephrase that one sentence. So I was... I was plagiarism. That was, that's the definition of plagiarism, isn't it? It was very close. But, uh, you know, at the same time, my article was full of facts and very few opinions. And he didn't, didn't uh, credit you at all. That surprised me. I thought at least, you know, what what was funny, actually, I don't even mind him not crediting me. What well, I, I thought you're, you're talking about Dave. No, not, I'm talking about a website that. Oh, no, I'm talking about. No, here. I'm talking about the Daily DDT one. I don't even mind them not crediting me. What drove me up a wall was the fact that then they linked to my scribed articles that I uploaded. I abstracted. I uploaded myself. It just it just blew me away where I was just like, there's no way you can pretend that you're not just copying my article because I'm the only person who uploaded these documents there. They actually exist for free out on the court website. You can download them. But like if you're just going to take my links and copy it into the article, then I know you're just not making any effort. So it was kind of one of those things. But I was just amused because I was just like, wow. And then within like a couple of days, it started to dwarf the traffic of, of my original article so that if you typed in like CM Punk lawsuit or subpoena, that article came up first. Wow. That's it, terrible. It, You know, the the good news is I, I, I did my job and got the story out there. And so yeah. and I got I was able to be compensated for it. And, you know, you, you build you build a, a house with a million low blocks. Yeah. So I felt like right. I built one more block. You know, this year, Fightful got the they got the WDB schedule. They got the CM Punk article. You know, these these things sometimes help kind of drive the traffic and drive the importance of a site. So I'm always happy yeah. when I can deliver something like that. I think that's just that's one of the unfortunate situations of uh, wrestling media at the moment is that. There are so few people who produce what I guess what I would call original content so that nobody really knows whose who's word to take or who, who to follow. Like we know Meltzer reports news and we know that PW Insider reports news. 
a couple years ago, we, we learned that Ryan Satin reports news <laughs> and uh, all, all these mainstream media outlets report news, but nobody really. But doesn't it isn't it kind of shocking, though, then when you go to a Reddit and you see how many Meltzer related posts there are, because people would say yeah. in the age of egalitarianism where anyone can be an expert and that, you know, Dave Meltzer's only famous because he writes this newsletter and he, he doesn't have any real sources and, and all the other things they like to throw at him that. He still ends up being the guru and the expert, even amongst his yeah. people. The, the wrestling media world, it, it revolves around him like the sun. It, but it's just amazing to me where I think like the reddits of the world really thought they were going to get away from that at some point by like making it so e egalitarian. And yet it hasn't really happened. Yeah. And, and, you know, the survey spe speaks to it. I'm not going to go question by question here. But there's one here that says, are you a subscriber to F4WOnline.com? Which, again, is a terrible question. Because not a lot of people know F4WOnline.com is Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Because if you don't subscribe, why would you think F4WOnline.com is any different than DDT Daily or anything else? You, you would have to know, oh, that's called WrestlingObserver.com. It, it, they're not close to each other in name at all. Yeah. Hopefully you would know if you were a subscriber. Yes. But you might not. So the choices were basically no I'm not interested, no I might, no I don't know what this is, which was 17% of the people. So I'd argue some of that 17% might feel differently if they knew it was wrestlingobserver.com. And yeah. just for my earlier comment, I know they're not clicking on links to try to answer questions correctly. So um no I've subscribed before, which was only 5%. Yes, I'm a regular subscriber, 5%. And yes, I'm a fairly new subscriber, 1%. So it said something like 94% of the people are not subscribed to F4W online, even though Dave Meltzer is so highly regarded. And Ryan Kars's, um survey had a very similar result, where something like 97% said they did not subscribe, but something like 60% held him in high esteem or the highest esteem. And so it was very funny where it's like you really aren't dealing with people who are getting the information from the horse's mouth. They're getting it a lot of times third hand. And there's something to be said about the consumption of media when people are getting it that way, because that's how yeah. how, you know, inflection in a radio show transcribed is not always well, uh, well considered. Yeah, I've, I've had conversations with friends about that. Like it, I, everybody is getting some news from the observer. And I feel like especially if you're trying to study and understand the business, it would behoove you to to read it in its full context. The um, where is your country of residence? Fifty five percent U.S., sixteen percent U.K., seven percent Canada, five percent Australia, two percent Ireland. Um, interesting. A lot lower U.S. population than a lot of other kind of more U.S. centric news type things. Um, a little bit probably higher on Australia than I would have thought that Canada and Australia are almost the same, same size, which is not something, you know, when we looked at our stats, I think Canada was probably twice as large as Australia in terms of, of listeners. Yeah. Let's see. In the survey I did for and the results I got for Reddit were, was 48%, which is quite a bit lower than this, 55 for, for U.S. For the U.K. and Ireland, I got 27%, and they've got 165 for U.K. and one for Ireland, which is higher. But anyway. Uh, yeah, well, it just it could say that there's also – I think time differences play a big role too that – you know, it's probably easier to have a conversation on a, a forum if you're living on the other side of the world from someone versus Twitter. So that that's always going to play a role as well um, in terms of, of where people like to be. This is really clearly a very heavy WWE network um, 
population. They said 73% of the people paid for the WWE network on, on, on W Reddit. Right. And that, that's a shockingly high number. And then what was interesting is then new Japan was at 16% progress was at four and a half. High spots was at two. Stardom was at one and a half. Chakara Topia was at one. ICW was at a little less than one and flow slam was at half a percent. So this would have you believe that almost three times the number of people subscribe to Chikara Topia than flow slam, which I don't buy. Um, no, well, the, 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 the numbers are so small on, on these ones at the bottom that I don't think, you know, we got 34 votes for flow slam, 96 for Chikara Topia. The, the sample is so small. I wouldn't take much meaning to it. And, and the same idea being that WWE has, you know, 1.6 million subscribers New Japan in this survey is about one fifth the size of that, but New Japan is not sitting around 300k subscribers. New Japan is sitting around what 60,000, 80,000? Yep, 60. 60. So yeah, as of the first day of G160. Yeah. So I mean, that's a lot less than a fifth. That's more like you know a tenth. <laughs> but there, so and then progress is is the first one after that, and so they've got four and a half percent with 391 people saying they they do subscribe to progress on demand. And that's consistent with things we've seen from similar web where, where progress is outperforming according to similar, similar web estimates. It's, it's outperforming things like Flow Slam and the High Spots Network. Yeah. And uh, I, I would love if we could ever see progress data for UK versus non-UK subscribers. Uh, just be really interested to see, you know, what percentage. Uh, well, you could do similar web and that's true. it'll give you the global stuff. Yeah. I, I just think that the U.S. wrestling market might still be per capita the largest wrestling market in the world. Even for things like British wrestling, when you when you add up, you know, the small percentage of people in the U.S. that are watching British wrestling is still sometimes more than the Brits. It feels that way online. You know, I, I doubt it's true, but it feels are that you way. Are you saying the, the U.K. audience is the most no, passionate? Or it's got the... I'm saying the U.S. audience has the greatest – because there's so many USA fans and there's so – it's such a large population that capturing even a small part of the U.S. market can be very comparable to a very – to a, to a country like UK. It could be very comparable. Yeah, like, that there could be a similar number of progress on demand subscribers in the United States as there is in the UK. Okay. Just absolute number. Absolute number, yeah. Yeah. Just okay. because the US is so much bigger. So, so much bigger than the UK. And and the wrestling fan willingness to spend money is much higher. But I don't know. UK Maybe not. UK, UK population is about 65 million and US population about, what, 320 million? Yeah, so five times. Yeah. So... I, I mean, just compared to like the New Japan numbers where we know that we, we think, you know, international is at most maybe a six. A and real quick, six. For, fun, for fun, according to similar web, about 58% UK, 23% US. Okay. So, all right. So we're at four and a half percent Chile, <laughs> four, four and a quarter percent Italy. Uh, yeah. That's three percent Canada. I don't know. Who knows? But so basically it would suggest that if there's four quarters of the pie Two of them are the UK, one of them is the US, and then the last piece is made up of a combination of Canada, South America, and the rest of Europe. And Chile, of course. <laughs> hey, I've met some really passionate Chilean uh, wrestling fans online. Chile was also, um, I think when WWE Network put out their stat about their one-year mark, Chile was like the number 10 country on that that list. And I remember making a joke about it and then immediately getting bombarded on Twitter by Chilean wrestling fans. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've pissed off everyone at some point or another here. (laughs) But yeah, the fact that 73% of the people say that they subscribe to the network is really interesting because it suggests that something like the, the, the wrestling forum here is built around people that are interested in discussing the content that is capable of being accessed by the network, which mostly is going to be driven towards current product, but obviously will have some historical value. But it also speaks the, the, the query progress wrestling uh, is number one in the UK with, with, with the sta- at the standard of 100. And then 40 percent of that is Ireland. 14 percent of that is is United States, which is much the way much I'm saying. Lower, per- yeah. The way I'm saying percent right now is way misleading. But anyway, number one is, is UK. Number two is Ireland. Number three is US. Number four is Australia. Number five is Canada. And I guess it would just come down to the difference between what's the difference between people interested in progress and what's the people interested in the progress on demand uh, uh, service. Sure. But yeah, no, you're right. Um, I, I think it's, it's just fascinating to me kind of what getting a better understanding of what exactly you're getting from, from Reddit and just, it speaks a lot to just how WWE centric it is. You know, when they say, what is the show you watch the most overwhelmingly? The number one show was SmackDown. Followed by Raw, then NXT, then New Japan, then 205 Live was ahead of Lucha Underground, ROH, uh, PWG, Progress, Impact, and so forth. So it, it says a lot when you know your fifth most watched show is 205 Live, and that's beating out everything else besides New Japan in the world. Yeah, I mean that reflects what my intuition would be about the Reddit population, is that they're mainly watching WWE. Yeah. Some of them are, are watching New Japan. Yeah. And so we have Lucha Underground above Ring of Honor and Impact. That's interesting. It is. It is. Uh, maybe it's just the, um, uh, you know, traditional television versus what you can get on, you know, cooler packages. El Ray's cooler for sure. I, I would say, like, once you're hardcore enough that you're using Reddit regularly enough that you're going to respond to this survey, my my intuition is that y- you think Lucha Underground is, is cooler than Ring of Honor. It's definitely cooler than TNA. So you're going to watch that instead of those two. True. True. Um, also, it's on Netflix. So um, you asked a question which was interesting, which was, is Braun Strowman becoming a draw? Yeah. And I was kind of curious, how were you trying to figure this out? I don't know. I, I almost feel like I, I neglected to put this in the, in, the, in the notes in the doc because it's, it's going to unravel into something bigger. But I feel like – so I've, I've asked this question, is Braun, Braun Strowman emerging as a draw? But So what do we actually mean when, when we say somebody's a draw? Well, I was going to ask you that too. <laughs> I assume yeah, so you mean I, I, is he is he emerging as someone who makes a difference on whether or not he's at live events, programmed in the top of pay per views, sells merchandise, and on television? There you go. That that, that sounds like a good definition. Um, he's he's at the point. I think this is the most significant thing we could say is that, he, at least with his Google trends, his Google searches. So this reflects the number of searches uh, for somebody uh, divided by the total number of searches in Google as a whole. Uh, his searches, he's, he's got more searches going for him these days than Bray Wyatt. Of course, you know, he was a member of the Wyatt family going back. So if you look at this over the course of a few years, of course, Braun Strowman was considerably below Bray Wyatt for Google searches. And then as time goes on and his push uh, becomes you know, more and more predominant, his his Google searches increase to the point now where he is uh, in, in this uh, screenshot of a, of a Google Trends graph. That we're looking at here, he is above Bray Wyatt. Um, he is not above Finn Balor, though. Uh, for I think we're looking at it at a 12-month period. This is a C- going back. 
This is a seizure-inducing graph, by the way. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you looking at the other one with the uh, the trend lines? <laughs> the dots all over it. Oh, that, that's the best. <laughs> it makes sense of all this insanity, and that's why the others – nobody knows what we're talking about. Here. But that's, that's why the line graphs, the, the original line graph data is, is – you know, I, I made it a, a lighter color, and then I created a trend lines and made those darker. So at least I get some narrative out of it. You can – I mean, if you, if, you, if you think this is – It's shocking to me how high Finn Balor's numbers are uh yeah. it, it's really a surprise to see that um well, he's, he's, he's triple h's boy supposedly so maybe he maybe triple h is right maybe there or maybe this the you know it's a self-fulfilling prophecy who knows but but that's fascinating and then like like uh dave has actually been talking up big this idea that that the the uh lesnar strowman feud seems to be getting wwe hot again yeah and, and, and again from an intu- just my intuition is that brock lesnar and samoa joe that was a match that felt like just a well-promoted match oh my god if you just promote things well it feels important at least i don't know of any data the point that we could say say hey look this really created big interest and it drew i don't know then maybe we can do some further research and, and get some sort of answer on that but so that match that that's the great balls of fire main event of course and then they did this SummerSlam match that just happened this four-way and that too felt like here are four guys who feel like they, they're real ass kickers and they're they're legit badasses and they're gonna you know they they really built that up well and, and felt like you were about to see a car crash and then the match happened and it delivered exactly on that at least in my opinion yeah there's something to be said for there's certain people that when they're presented right in the ring people watch that and say oh my god i can't believe that's happening and you know there's a difference between having seth rollins in that main event and having braun Strowman when braun Strowman looks tall and big and hairy and scary uh, versus Seth can be impressive, but he's CrossFit Jesus. You know, he's he's not as, um, not as intimidating for sure. And and I think he grabs the audience in a very different way. And so yeah. so I I think you know they I'm amazed they were able to rehab Braun. You know, they did a good job of of putting him in with the right people. And you know, even in the Wyatt family, it was an interesting fit. But at the same time, I think people forget how tall people like Rowan are or even Harper is. And so it made Strowman not look as big and tall as he really could be compared to a lot of the other people on the roster. So um, but, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, you did this whole document here where you looked at Google Trends for everybody by month. Can you kind of lay out all the the data and math that went into it? So I took the the Google Trends data for Every wrestler currently on the WWE roster and a few others, a select other few, such as people who aren't active like Steve Austin and Booker T and, and a couple announcers, um, and just put it into it. I took everybody and held them to the standard of John Cena because John Cena is uh, has got the, the most searches from – so when we're looking at Google Trends, we're looking at 2004 to the present – and uh, I, I, just, I dumped it all into a big spreadsheet, and uh, maybe I'll, I'll make sense of it uh, after I'm done recording the show. Yes. But what did you get out of it? You, you, you ran some, some crazy math. Well, it was interesting. So you had you, – you came up with these yearly averages from 2004 to 2017. So, for instance, John Cena in 2004 would be at an 11.9 index. And at 2005, he's at a 26.3 index. In 2006, he's at a 33.2 index. And he basically rises all the way up to 2010 when he hits a 64.2 index. And then he kind of hovers around that and goes down. And then by 2015, he shoots up again to 70.8. And then he kind of starts falling again. So it's interesting when you take that. What what I did is I just did a a quick regression, um, uh, like a linear 
model where I was just saying, let's take your years from 2010 to 2017, so the last eight years, and kind of thinking about it as if you were to scatter plot those of what's your index versus what's the year, and then you were to put a line through that, and then you'd have your y equals mx plus b line. So m is the slope in that, so I wanted to see what the, the line slope would be. And in this case, basically, it would say, one year from now, where would you be if this was a linear slope? And so I did that on everybody real quick and kind of then just put people into buckets saying, okay, who's got the positive slopes over the last eight years? Who's got really negative slopes? And then where are people in the middle? So, you know, if you were to put them into categories, I had it as stock rising. So the people who had positive slopes and would say basically if they had a linear trend on their their data a year from now, they would be stronger than they are now and anywhere from one point to five points stronger. And so those were people like Roman Reigns, Nikki Bella, Paige, Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, AJ Styles, and then particularly Brock Lesnar and Dwayne Johnson. And we, we think there are some issues with, with Paige's data, though, because there's seemed to be a lot of searches for Paige well before she was ever signed by WWE. Um, when, when she would have been very young. Um, True. I, I started the page data from 2010 onwards is what I used in this. Okay. So I, I okay. and, and I'm sure there's a lot of interest in page because of all the news that that's you know been surrounding her for the last year or so. Yeah. But uh, so that was interesting just to see that those people were in there. And if you think about what's been in the news a lot, uh, Dwayne Johnson, obviously, uh, with all his movies and television, and everything else, uh, Roman Reigns, you know, if you look over the last eight years, he's certainly the guy that has come out strong. Brock Lesnar has been all over between UFC and WWE. Uh, AJ Styles, seeing him on that list is interesting because it says a lot about just how much his stock has continued to go up. Yeah, I I think AJ Styles has really turned into like a, a solid well, – he's behind Reigns and he's behind Cena. But he's – I think when I did Google Shopping ratings, he was number three. Then Nikki Bella being so high up there, and it just speaks a lot to yeah, the, how the, the Bella twins are very old. Yeah, and we saw that in, in YouTube stuff too. And granted, a lot of that was with John Cena, but even if even if we took John Cena out of the picture, she would still be at the top, number one or number two, with among the women. Of those, uh, you know, seven or so people I mentioned there, you have Dwayne at like fifty six, and Roman at twenty four, and Paige at twenty two and a half, and Brock at twenty, and then at the very bottom you have someone like Dean Ambrose who's only at 4.9, meaning he's going up at, you know, one and a half points a year, but he's starting at a pretty low base. Uh, so this is also really interesting. You know, AJ's at 6.4, just to kind of put him in perspective for versus like a Brock at 20. And most of the wrestlers here are in the single digit index line, unless they're like a really big star. But for stock rising, most of those make sense, especially like Paige, even though she's been injured, she's been all over the news between the sex tape, between the allegations with Alberto, between just all the antics every week, the movie they're making on her and everything else. Um, number two, Bucket was just called growing, meaning people that are are going up, but they're not quite as strong as fast are going up. And that was Sasha, Finn Balor, Charlotte, Alexa Bliss, Brie Bella, Stephanie McMahon, Lana. Notice the pattern there. Uh, Kevin Owens and then uh, Ric Flair as as kind of the outlier there, which says I think the one thing that's interesting is that you see certain legends are very enduring. Hogan, Flair, Undertaker. Well, in, in in the case of Flair, his uh, – the- the news, you know, he, he had his health issue that's going on at the moment. That that was a there's a huge spike in interest for Flair this month because of that. So that may be driven by that. 
But it's interesting. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. But it's interesting to see all those women kind of bucketed there along with Finn Balor. And in this case, Finn Balor's index is 4.9, which is actually a little bit behind Sasha Banks at 5.1. That's more the numbers I would have expected to see, you know, for Finn Balor, kind of putting him in the same ranking as a Dean Ambrose or even AJ Styles. Um, My my, my first look feeling just like looking at this is that. You know, women's wrestling was was really marginalized for years, and it's and it's growing into being a more significant part of their product. And so naturally, you would see this a growing interest in a a good handful of female wrestlers. The next bucket is really long. I'm not going to sit and read it all, but it includes people like Braun Strowman, who's going up by about 0.4 points a year, and he's only at a four. But I have an honest feeling if you were to look at this week over week, it would be a lot different. Um, or even month over month, you're going to see it just because he's he's kind of exponentially accelerating right now um, versus someone like Rusev right here is at a 1.3 index. And he has the same acceleration as Braun Strowman. But uh, clearly in a year from now, one of them is going to be a lot bigger than the other. Would you get a further insight if I did the last 12 months or the last three years or something like that? Well, don't we have it by month on the side? We've got it by month, but we don't have it by week or by day. No, I, th- I think but the by month data is enough for me to, to do more with in the future here. Um, but you see a lot of the, the names that you expect to see here, Samoa Joe and Rusev and Strowman and Jinder and Daniel Bryan and, and New Day and Austin and Hogan. Uh, Hogan probably having the strongest index of anyone there and still showing kind of basically flat for the year. Um, then you go down a bucket and then you get to what I call the declining. So these are the people who actually show negative momentum as each year passes. And so that includes Big Show, Kane, Shawn Michaels, Edge. So people that are retired, marginalized, or essentially retired. Um, then you have Maurice, which is interesting. And I think that's just the mix of the fact that she was gone and now she's coming back. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Maurice's stock kind of rising with her, uh, appearances on, uh, Total Divas coming up. And then CM Punk is on this list too. And if you think about it, CM Punk has actually kept a pretty low profile besides the UFC stuff. And even in the lead up to the UFC stuff, kept a somewhat low profile. So that's not surprising to see his stock really being all over the place. I would be curious if um, AJ Lee was on this list, uh, what we would get. She might be a good one to add in. Um, and then we have stock falling. So these are the people who year over year would we'd expect to see the largest decrease in in uh, numbers from. And this was a really interesting list. So they were Triple H at a 13.3 index with a minus 1.2 momentum. John Cena at a 42.5 index with a negative 1.3 momentum, which is important to point out that at 42.5, he can lose momentum for several years and still be number one or number two on this list. Um, Undertaker at negative 1.4 momentum at a 25 index. Again, only shows up once a year and almost retired. Randy Orton at 11 index with a negative 1.7 interest. That's a bad sign for Randy Orton in my book because that's a guy who's who's on the roster now and they're trying to push as a top guy. And that's not a place you want to be is seeing that kind of declining interest. Just real quick, one of the things I think you see looking at these Google trends because I do look at them quite often is that people who are around a long time, they're more established. And I feel like just the number of years that you've been in WWE, it really helps whatever your current interest level is, I guess, if, if that makes sense. So like somebody like Randy Orton is is well above most Yeah, he's an 11, which puts him probably in the top 10 for the list. Right. So I, f- I think the longer you're with WWE, the higher your 
the higher up on on the chart. Sure, sure. Be, Kane is a six you know, six, I mean, and and Big Show is a seven one, and just I guess like sort of by just the, the sheer attrition of being on TV for so long, you become. And I think this is how it gets into reality. You become more in, ingrained in, in the in the public's mind, so that so naturally, then more people are doing Google searches for you. You know, the one exception to that might be uh, Kofi, who's only at a point six, but that's probably because New Day is stealing a lot of the attention. For him, because yeah. he's a guy that's been around for a very long time, and yeah, and, and the Usos are another exception, yep. I would think. Yep. But I guess to uh, to add a caveat, I guess I'm talking about people who are pushed above a mid card level, like Randy Orton, who's been a champion, who's sure. been in events. And uh, the other people on this list at the the stock falling section with the most negative was Dave Batista at negative one point nine, which is surprising when you think about his movie career. It was just not on TV every week. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just you know very different uh, kind of attention for him. Uh, Jeff Hardy had a negative two point four, and I think a lot of that is coming from the fact that the twenty ten numbers for Jeff Hardy were super high, if I recall. Yeah, and that's because that they was are. right around when he was almost SmackDown champion and he was almost thrown in jail for drug conspiracy. <laughs> oh, that helps. Yeah. yeah, and so there was a lot of news going on about Jeff Hardy at that time. So I'm not surprised right. that uh, his stock would be falling a lot. And then Rey Mysterio at a negative 3.9 interest and only a five index, which says, yeah. you know, a lot about, you know, when you're out of the WWE apparatus, even if you're Ray, um, you know, Alberto here, let's see what his, his number is. I think he's right in the middle. Yeah. He's a 1.4 index with a negative quarter 0.25 momentum, which is almost identical to what Rob Van Dam is doing. And, uh, you know, Alberta's all over the world doing stuff and making headlines. So that's also interesting to see. How how little attention going to Alberto Del Rio and how much attention going to Page, suggesting um, uh, I don't know yeah. uh, gender dynamics and whose sex tapes people care about and all the news that's been going on with them. Yeah. Um, I was looking at something today. There there's a gap in my WWE knowledge, certainly in terms of watching it, and I think it's it's from roughly 2008 to like 2013 or so. Um, so when I saw you see things like Jeff Hardy, who's at a 40 here. Where you know most people can't get out of out of the single digits was, and I, I've, I'm aware of that that there was this this time in 2009 where he was becoming a really big star, but that that gives it uh, some concrete evidence to it. So wow, in 2009 he was in, in terms of Google searches one of the most searched for wrestlers on the roster at the time. Well, and the drug charges were huge. I mean right. that was that. But even in 2008 he's, yeah. he's up at an, at a 19, and 2010 he's up at a 27. Which is why I think you know they thought about capitalizing on that program with Sam Punk so much because he he was getting super hot at the time, and that's why you know the argument has been made if you can get the Broken Hardy angle in, go for it. But if you can't, Jeff Hardy still has some legs as a single superstar to him, and you know has has shown just that unique charisma that certain people have where they just, you know, the, the fans buy them and they care about them and they buy their merch and they, they want to see them. So, uh, anyways, this document will be made available to any of our, our Patreon subscribers. They can see it in the document. They'll be able to link on it. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, Brandon writes something about this in the next uh, week or two. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it'll be used for background at the very least for, for some stuff. Yeah. But, yep, so it's, it's just kind of fun. I, I love doing kind of things like momentum studies on people to see if there's ways to figure out, you know, who's important or not. I did a, a crazy study about Japan singles ELO this week where I took um, all the results I could find off cage match from 1999 through 2017 for a lot of the major Japanese companies, New Japan, All Japan, NOAA, Zero One, DDT, Dragon Gate, Kai and Tai, Big Japan, 
MPRO, Toromon, FMW, Wrestle One, IGF, Tradition, Hustle, Toromon, 2000. Uh, War was around a little bit for that. King's Road, stuff like that. And just kind of War was around in 1999. Well, like last they did a couple like I think reunion shows or something. Okay. Yeah, it but the last couple shows things I had there really only did a, a handful of shows. You know, IGF doesn't run all that often, for instance. Um, Hustle was obviously only around for a period of time there. But it was it was fun fun taking all those data and I didn't do any name cleansing. So this is not a perfect data set by any means because anytime someone changed their name I, I wasn't capturing that. So um, so my first take from this when I clicked on it right away, and the, so if you had posted this to uh, the, the subreddit Squared Circle, and I if I were to comment uh, on this study, my first reaction would have been, wow, Stalker Ichikawa has been in more matches than anybody else. Yes, because Stalker Ichikawa had done like 1,000 matches when the next the number two guy had done like 400 singles matches. Sing, this is just a count of singles matches. It just then. pure singles, too. It has to be X versus Y. So No three ways, no four no, ways. No, because, because it, it gets a little funny with how you want to allocate the points when there's three people. Because ideally, you'd want to know who got pinned or who lost to really allocate the points. And so I decided just not to make the headache of it. And so I just thought, pure singles, let's see where it gets. And, and a lot of that was because... Ichiwawa would do, you know, he does, sometimes he'll do like four matches on a show because he'll do a one-minute match, a one-minute match, a five-minute match. Ah. You know, he, he did. And, and come to think of what, I, what I've seen, I, I watched like early Dragon Gate especially or Torimon, and it's mostly singles matches for him, isn't it? Because it's it's the comedy gimmick. and That's the other thing is that, you know, when, we, when I talked about how New Japan guys had done almost the same number of matches as WWE guys – the difference was the number of singles matches that WWE guys were doing versus the number of, of tag matches. And, you know, a lot of the New Japan guys might be doing the same number, but probably only 10% or 15% of their matches were singles versus some of the WWE guys, 50 or 70% of their matches were singles. So right. so it's it's a different wear and tear where in Japanese wrestling, there is actually a lot less singles matches in general uh, compared to American wrestling. So... Do you, th- do you think we'll ever see a, in the U.S. or from WWE or promotions like that a, a drift away from the the house shows always have to have singles matches and the philosophy in Japanese wrestling is totally different where they they do if if it's not on a big show there's there might be a couple singles matches but the big matches certainly with if it's not a big show they're going to be in a, in a six man tag or something like that. I mean, if you're are you saying do I think WWE is going to change their style? No. Do I think indies might indies go with whatever is going to work for them at the time. But I, th- I think wrestlers in the U.S. are very conditioned on the idea of what's the entrance, what's the character, what's the, you know, that that unique piece that they get with that. And tag team wrestling is often seen much more as a segmented thing that either you're a tag team wrestler Definitely. or a singles yeah. wrestler. And if you think about it, there is actually a lot of these main event, you know, dark matches, especially where they do the tag. You know, they take the four yeah. singles guy and they throw him at a tag. On TV, yeah. Uh, a TV t- exactly. Yeah. So it's not that they don't ever do them. But um, definitely at house shows, they, they just send – I think they just feel like they're getting a lot more of a, a pure product. And, you know, tag team does have a little bit of a stigma to it. Either you're – And it's – I think in Japan, it's, it's a media issue, right? That's probably why it ended up being that way is because in, in Japanese wrestling, the media is covering every event or they're reporting every event and – the promoters feel like there's enough access from the public to, to those results that they can't do what they do in the U.S., where which is they do this, the same main event over and over again for a while, 
oftentimes with the, with the exact same finish. Sure, sure. That's part of it. And I think part of it, too, is that we have a different value of what people feel they're getting out of the wrestling show, right? So uh, on the house shows in Japan, they might feel like they're obligated to give the fans a certain quality of a of certain match, right? Versus in the U.S., rarely was match quality considered a function of, of what you were getting, you know? It was all about the personalities and the characters. Even, you know, like like Meltzer will talk about, like Steamboat, Steamboat Flair was huge, but in fact it didn't draw all that great and did not help the houses. Savage, um, right. S- Savage Steamboat didn't help the houses. And I think that has changed over time, which I'm not sure that great matches draw uh, outright, but... The, the, the match quality that you're able to provide has become more important over time. Sure, sure. And that's why we see things like maybe Jinder Mahal isn't as hot as he would be if he was a great wrestler. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that's why I say I think on an indie scene, it's going to move towards the taste of the crowd. Whereas I think at the very top level, I don't know if they're going to have a systematic change in how they want to approach this. Because to them, especially with the, the amount of touring they do and the amount of television rights and everything else – there's not a lot of evidence to them that it's not working. You know, if, if, if Rome was burning, they would feel a lot different. But I don't think that's what they, they see happening. So that's one of the reasons that you don't see the U.K. guys, you know, necessarily they're, getting they're a push. Even, they, they're having great matches when they come out there. But yet there's not the same connection to them. There would be, you know, if you were if you were a known promoter, you'd look at this and say, oh, my God, Pete Dunne should be doing more of this on my shows. But that's not how they feel. But to, I'm not really I don't feel strongly about this, but I. If you look at W house shows and what they advertise, like they don't advertise matches anymore. They they advertise names. So if I'm a audience member who have bought a ticket to a house show, I walk in the building. I don't know what the matches are. I, I might have an idea if I actually looked at W.com who's going to be there. Oh, sure. I mean, that was the joke about John Cena accepting the offer from Kurt Angle. He accepted it in such a way that th- like six weeks ago they were able to advertise he was going to be on Raw. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, it's it was it was fun doing the little survey and kind of digging in and, and Japanese wrestling is not my wheelhouse in terms of a lot of things I know I've, I've, I learned through osmosis a lot of times when I do these kind of data surveys where you just dig up so much data and you get a good feeling. Like if you had asked me, do Japanese guys, you know, over the last 18 years, who's done the most singles matches? Would I have ever guessed stalker? Ishawar? No. Um, but it was interesting to kind of see that and, and to dig in. And, and again, if I fixed all the names on this, I think I would have, you know, some, some of these people would get a whole lot more matches cause you have evil and people like that who've changed their names over time. But, um, it, it was, it was fun. And what, one thing I love doing is then you can kind of come up with ratings for guys and then you can start to say, okay, find me the matches where the two top rated guys matched up against each other. And you could almost do the same thing with your Google Trends document where you could say, I have an index oh. for everyone. I have who was on television that month. I could figure out, you know, which which matches did I put the people that were the most interesting in against each other, you know, stuff like that. Um, but it was it was kind of fun for me to, like, go through and say, OK, when did New Japan have its biggest matches in 2017? What were Dragon Gate's biggest matches? All Japan's and Noah's and Zero Ones. And it's not foolproof. Because in order to have a high rating, you've got to beat a lot of people. So if you're a new up-and-comer, it's going to be harder. But it, it was kind of interesting to see which Noah matches kind of jumped out, which were the, the matches with Nakajima, the, the champion, you know, going up against more veteran guys. Or the Zero-One matches, where which involved people like Tanaka, uh, who's been around forever there. Or um, the All Japan matches, which had 
you know, actually a, a whole variety of people, which was kind of fun in the All Japan matches was uh, Ishikawa and and Marshmido and Su- Suwama and, and Joe Doring and people like that. And then, of course, the Dragon Gate ones, which the Dragon Gate guys just do a ton of matches is what you realize when you start looking at the numbers for this. And uh, Naruki Dai and, and uh, Shingo and, and BXB Hulk and, and Yamato being the guys in there. So it was kind of fun just seeing, you know, which matches jump out when you do that. And um, and so the one with with for New Japan that had, had the highest collective ELO. Do you want to reveal it? Or, oh yeah, tell me, tell, tell me who it is. Well, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's, it's it's Okada versus Suzuki, isn't it? Yes, yes, I think that was the very highest. Though you will see that Omega um, did make the list. So Omega Okada, Naito Tanahashi, Suzuki Omega, Naito Omega. So I, I thought that was telling that you know you do see the the right people up there. And then what's also fun is you can actually do the graphs of the people and say, okay, let me look at your ELO rating over time. And you can then start to say, okay, who's going up, who's going down. And so, uh, someone like, have you done this for WWE recently? Recently? No. Um, I did it. Cause I, I wonder if it would be way out of whack for WWE just because their booking puts far less value on wins and losses. You know, with WWE, what I do have to do is I usually have to actually, I weighted all shows the same in this model. I didn't say Tokyo Dome is worth 40 times of a house show. Right. That because Japanese booking for the most part makes sense. <laughs> WWE, on the other hand, the right. they want to send the phone, fans home. Faces win on, on house yes, shows exactly. completely. So the problem is when you do this for WWE, you end up with basically all your heels losing a lot of momentum and Cena being super, super high. And then anytime someone gets a fluke win over Cena, they get a bunch of points. So there's a lot of little factors, but I can certainly do it for WWE. I did it in. You could just look at TV. Yeah. To make it simple. I did it informally for WWE about a year ago, maybe less than a year ago. And Baron Corbin came out really high. And that really shocked me at the time. And this was maybe. It might have even been this year. I think it was right before WrestleMania. And I remember thinking, this can't be right. I must have a flaw in my model. And then, like, uh, shortly after that, he won, you know, the trophy and, you know, went went on to become winning more and more. And so I suddenly realized, oh, wow, you know, I kind of had seen this coming. I just didn't believe it. So I will say you do actually see some of this. Someone like Jinder obviously would just be off the charts. He, You would have to almost treat him like two different people. Um, you know, SmackDown Jinder and Raw Jinder, you know, as, as, as two different people. Well, then real quick. If you're trying to accurately predict who's going to win on pay-per-view, um, the, the matches that are most predictable are when they've debuted somebody and you can tell they're they're really hot on them and they're now they're putting them on pay-per-view against some guy who's just going to beat. And and that I, I feel that that describes Baron Corbin at times. It is described in the past. People like Rusev when they were pushing him. Um, but those guys aren't going to get a ton of points from those kind of wins. They'll get some. But, like, if you're beating a Kurt Hawkins, you don't get many points in this model. Well, I'm thinking about, like, Rusev and his feud with Jack Swagger. Yeah, yeah. But maybe, maybe Jack Swagger is not, not worth that many points. Yeah. So I will refresh this. I will do it just for singles matches because that's the other thing is that there's almost a, a tag personality and a singles personality I found. I have a model that I can do it for any kind of match. But I find that tag matches, you know, Cena might lose a tag match, but that doesn't really mean Cena has gone down in his value. Versus Cena losing a singles match does matter. So like Nakamura beating him would be worth a lot of points. Um, so I, I will probably be working on that soon. It is interesting to see guys like Shibata, who was like shooting way up in New Japan this year before his injury. 
and uh, really jumped out as a guy that was going to be really big. And then, you know, obviously got off Naito, Okada and Evil were really big. Um, my Myra Hara in, in all Japan. I can't say these people's names. Dasuki. Kenzo Miyahara. Thank you. Um, Obata in uh, Okabayashi in, in Big Japan. Did you Okabayashi? Yes. He was going up way. And then on the flip side, you had people like Sushi in um, uh, all Japan who really dropped. Yamamura in Dragon Gate who really dropped. Kaikuta, K-I-K-U-T-A, Big Japan, and Tomo Yoshi in NOAA. And so it was, it was intriguing to me. I'm, I'm butchering. trying to figure out what names. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's the fun of it. But that's why I, I'm like I'm squinting at our doc like, which name is he saying? Yeah. But uh, it's fun for me to like see that, and then it kind of gives you an idea of of just. Well, well, I feel like once you figure out the Japanese language, it's 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 pretty simple as far as pronunciation because. It's very consistent, unlike the English language, which has, you know, you can see any letter letter combination. It could be any pronunciation, but the Japanese language is very consistent in that it's all, it's broken up into very specific syllables, to make a long story short. You're very accurate, and... and I'll, I'll, t- I'll teach you someday. And that that's the hilarity of, of listening to Chris pronounce things, is that uh, I always add syllables to any word I'm saying. Um, you know, one thing I can't add is buys. And uh, Mayweather McGregor coming up pay-per-view predictions. Some people are saying four million. Uh, they're they're now pushing. I think the over/under is five million or four point nine nine million. Technically, um, when you look back in history, you know Pacquiao Mayweather did four point six million in twenty fifteen. De La Hoya Mayweather, which was probably a much fairer fight, much bigger fight, was two point four million. And then all the other Mayweather. Uh, fights are, you know, El- Mayweather Alvarez was 2-2, Mayweather Cotto 1-5, Mayweather Mosley 1-4, and then McGregor has done a couple million-plus buys against Alvarez and Diaz, Diaz, Aldo. So he's done several, but, you know, kind of the, the number together, it, it's clearly a sum of the parts, you know, being much bigger than the individual pieces. Do you have a prediction? I felt like the over-under was 3 million. And again, the, the, the Pacquiao Mayweather record, which I think is, it must be the all-time record for any pay-per-view ever, right? 4.6 million? Yes, yes, I believe that is. I, uh, I, I don't remember what the I Tyson think, record was. That was like the previous one, I believe. No, nah, whatever Tyson's got is below this, I'm pretty sure. Um, I, I think it's possible that they will break it, but uh, I would err on, on 3 million. It, it's, it's, I think it's a very unpredictable situation because it's not two boxers going against each other, right? It's a boxer and, a, and an MMA fighter, and, and there's there's this freak show element to it of, you know, this is a Nokia Ali, that, that kind of thing. Holyfield but, Tyson did a little under 2 million, 199. And Lennox Lewis. Which one or the second one? Uh, that was the second one. And Lewis Tyson year, buddy. did like 197, and Tyson did a couple one one sixes. Uh, million buys back in 96 and 95 so yeah tyson tyson was obviously the king before uh the modern era um yeah so so i, I would guess three million for mcgregor oh i think i think it's way i mean like i say dave dave wrote that the over under right now is four nine okay. uh and so i i think three million is way low i i don't think okay i don't think five i think five is too high personally because I, I don't think this is i don't think this is as hot in some circles as people think it is. Well, the, the thing that I looked at and we're looking at it on, on our doc is the, um, the Google trends. Again, we're talking about Google trends, the Google searches for Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. The, the, the big spike, the biggest spike is for Floyd around the time of his fight with Pacquiao. Yeah. 
But if you look at but if you look at the time right before that, which I would call the buildup to that fight, the buildup to Mayweather-Pacquiao is substantially smaller than than it looks like the buildup to McGregor-Mayweather is. So if it breaks the record, if it, if it does five million buys. We saw this coming. I, I yeah, I, I still think the five is a little much because I think when you look at Mayweather's other, I'm sorry, you look at McGregor's other fights and the attention he got, it's not that much above the McGregor interest in his earlier fights that were only doing, you know, one million, one point two million, and so I, I'm not sure that there's as much. But those are for the fights themselves. Oh, that's that's not the buildup. That's just the fight themselves. I see what you're saying. Right. Oh no, then that's so, true. So these little these blue these blue spikes that we're looking at on this graph, like that's the. So your point is the, the preamble the to this itself. fight is as big as the biggest McGregor that's, fight was. Yeah, and it's it's bigger than all but two Mayweather fights. Probably Pacquiao. I can't see it right now, but probably Pacquiao and De La Hoya. Yeah, interesting. So I I still think. I, I think there's just a little too much of the freak show element that turns off some of the more serious boxing fans, which I think is a very core demographic for this. And I'm not Hoy himself uh, let out a, an angry tweet. You see that? No, no. He said, fuck you both. You're I don't know. He, he he's mad about it. I, I think I think both of them have a little bit of go away heat in terms of, you know, uh, Mayweather has domestic abuse charges and lots of other yeah. things against him that make it a lot less of your ability to get into it. On the flip side, I think it's going to be huge in the UK in a way that nothing else has been for years and years. So that's going to help them a lot. So I, I will go and say one four one four point one seven six. Give you a very exact number. So, say that again. Four point one seven six million. So it'll fall just short of the record. Yes. <laughs> um, Oscar Hoy on, on Twitter says, F you, Mayweather versus McGregor. Both of you are disrespecting the sport of boxing. Yeah. And, and you know, I can see, see you know, all the strange uh, concessions that have been made for this fight are kind of weird. And I, I sometimes think that, you know, McGregor's not as big outside of the MMA bubble as people think he is. It, it's been interesting, some of the articles that have come out, like New York Times did an article just about his suits the other day and things like that. And so that this is actually getting him a ton of play. But I honestly, you know, when McGregor was appearing on video game commercials on television, I thought he came off as a joke and a fool more than he came off as like, oh, my gosh, look at this captivating personality. And he's much more in his element when he's promoting his fights and doing this stuff. And, you know, he's he's obviously really good at what he does. And so it's not to say John Cena doesn't come off like a joke and a fool sometimes when he's out of his element and put in real life with people. But or um, even when he's in his element. Yeah. But I, I will say I, I just think that maybe the fandom of McGregor makes people be in the bubble a little too much when they're trying to understand casual interest in something like this. You know, and, and, I, and I think McGregor is, is a good is a good promo in the way that it's not kind of sounds like a pro wrestling promo, but it's a. Uh... It works for MMA or or whatever he's doing, boxing or whatever it is. There's a way that he presents himself, obviously, the way he carries himself and the way he dresses. But like, there's a, a a cadence to the way he talks that is like nobody else. No, it's great. I mean, I'm just always torn because people that are that good have such little self consciousness about when they're coming off really bad, 
And so, you know, like the racial comments that came out during the buildup and things right. like that, it's just like right. you can't believe someone can be that ignorant and that that idiotic. And at the same yeah. time, you know, Hulk Hogan all over again, right? Like there's lots of people that that are that popular and that ignorant and that idiotic all the time. So it, it's not that much of a surprise that, you know, I, I can't believe modern media has forgiven Mike Tyson for everything, you know, that they just treat him like a lark, you know, uh, things like that. So it, it amazes me sometimes the the memory, the collective memory of people in the media in terms of of what sometimes people have done. Um, yeah, absolutely. I did the, the build. So, some of the promos that they've done, they did. I guess they did this tour where they went around to various cities and basically stood up on a stage and cut promos on each other. And as, as you're alluding alluding to, there were some, you know, some racial things that were said by by McGregor, and I think a lot of people are and homophobic things said by Mayweather, and yeah, yeah. It, it, and I think yeah, it's just the sort of thing that I think sometimes has a disgust factor to it. In a yeah, and then just Mayweather having the, the domestic violence stuff and really tax into. problems and everything else. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. it's crazy. It's crazy. And it does come off like when they're they're cutting promos on each other. Like it's just it's, it's this fight that's in some ways centered around a worship of money. Oh, absolutely. I mean, literally, they made an insane belt called exactly. the money belt and right. put in uh, uh, 3000 diamonds and sapphires and emeralds. And it appears that it was made by some guy in, in Mexico City who was like carrying the gold from place to place in a plastic bag. Cause he figured no one would rob him if he just had it in a plastic bag instead of a briefcase was the story I read. Um, and I guess that that flavor of stuff makes people sound like they're more of a star because, well, they're making a ton of money, so they must be important. But I think it, it gets to a point where like the stuff that at least I want to feel when I get it, if, if you're going to get me excited about a match, whether it's boxing, MMA or pro wrestling is I want to, I want to, you know, feel human emotion stuff. And and not necessarily like well, who's gonna make the most money or who's gonna you know they I think they've gone too far with that. Absolutely, yeah. I think there's that element of, of it where like it's like, not why don't you want why like, don't you want why aren't the promos about I want to win to show that MMA is superior or that boxing is superior? Yeah, and maybe they have said stuff stuff like that, but that's not the focus as much. Well, and it you know they're like they just uh, are doing another movie about. Um, was it Chuck Webner or who was it? It was one of the boxers who they were saying, you know, he was basically a liquor salesman and he got a chance to box Muhammad Ali. So when he, so it was like, you know, literally a rags to riches type thing where it's like, wow, you're a nobody and you're going to get this huge opportunity. And it's not that story, right? It's not like we have the greatest fighter in the world and he's not paid anything. And, and oh my God, he's going to have this chance to jump in there with this big guy. It's not too fine, respectable sportsmen who are going to meet to no. find out who is the better fighter. But, you know, it's more to me, it's more I'm, I'm more disappointed in the commission because it's the point of a commission to make good legal sound choices, not to make. You, what's you don't best think business. this fight should have even been allowed? Huh? No, no, I don't think you should allow a guy with a no boxing record to fight a world champion. I don't think you should allow a change in the boxing glove weight. Um, you know, you're just doing things now to just kind of please promoters. And that's not the role of a commission. And and it, it's the same argument as like, you know, one time I think uh, Mayweather tried to get out of something where basically the argument was if he went and fought, he could pay back a fine. And that's why he shouldn't have to go to jail right now. And it's just like that, that those sort of things bug me. You know, it's just like that's not that it, that's absurd. The idea that, you know, we should turn the other way because, you know, same way in a banking system to say, well, I would rather have a dictator's money than have an honest person's money because it's so much more. And it's, you know, I could do so much more with it. So that that's 
that's just kind of how I feel sometimes when it, it comes to those things is that you're not really uh the the commission I thought let just basically abdicated its responsibility of being a, a voice of reason in a situation like this. Um I want to do a clarification on last week's show. I mentioned Christopher Amon and Charles Scott Amon, the C. Scott Amon that we always see. And it does not appear the two Amons are related to each other. That's right. You, you've done some investigation. I've done very little. Uh, a, a, a special source, Jack Morrell, has uh, contacted me. Uh, uh, I think he used to do some uh, research uh, for, for these sort of uh, questions that can come up in, in events. And so he, he did some tracing of family histories and, you know, obituaries and whatnot. And basically it looks like the two families are very separate. One's out of New York, one's out of Chicago, and they don't seem to have common parents. They don't seem to have common siblings. They're never, you know, the, the, the Christopher, I'm sorry, the Charles Scott Amon has actually been with WWE for a while. He was their legal counsel from like 1998 to 2001. And then he left. And then even he worked for Orange County Choppers for a little while. And then he went back to WWE in like 2009. So this is a guy who's been with the company for a long time. And then um, Chris Amon is actually not that much different in age. I think there's only like five years difference between the two of them. Uh, it looks it's not possible that they're cousins or something like that. I mean, it doesn't look like they have common family is really when it mm-hmm. when you trace it back. It just doesn't seem like they seem similar. And I, I don't know if that was through ancestry or something else he looked at. But I I, I don't want to you know, I don't feel like it's I think the question that was asked, which was a fair question, was are they brothers? And the answer is no, they're not brothers. They do not appear to be related to each other. This does not seem to be the case where the, the head of legal for WWE is covering for a family member in this case. And I think that's a fair point to go into beyond that. I feel a little bit like I'm prying into, you know, people's family history to get into (laughs) anything else that happens with them. But, uh, to the question of, are they related? Probably not. So just wanted to give that clarification since, uh, that was something that came up a while ago. Uh, one other thing, um, with the, the Bagwell, uh, Scott Levy royalty suit. They just filed a joint status conference thing today where they basically said where they are on different charges. It looks like they're going to drop some of their class action classifications. Basically, they had said, we think that our, our lawsuit should be class action. We think that anyone who follow who falls into these categories should be part of the lawsuit. So one of the class action groups was like from if you had a, uh, a contract from 93 to 94 if you had a contract from like 96 to 98 you know they had these specific years that they knew the contract language was open-ended on and so they agreed to drop a couple of those classes um there's been all this drama going on with their counsel where i think what happened was the firm kresloff used to have a uh, an attorney named matthew peterson i think matthew peterson left that firm for another firm called the bruno firm and as a result basically Levy and Bagwell fired the the attorneys, basically saying we'd ra- we'd rather go work with the Bruno firm because we want this guy Peterson. And so, literally, in one of the filings, there's a, a note from Raven that just says, "Dear sirs, I am terminating my client engagement. This is mainly because I haven't worked with you and I don't know you. Of course, when the ca- case comes to resolution, you'll be the first to be compensated. Thank you, Scott Levy." And the reason they did that is because they um, the the first firm basically has put out he did not sign it quote the Raven evermore no he just wrote Scott Levy but uh um it was funny because what I think happened is that they asserted an attorney's lien which uh, I don't know all the details of it but basically says that if there's a settlement they would have to get repaid because they had worked on um, contingency 
on this case. And so they wanted to get their their money basically as a part of this. And so they filed it saying, you know, we, we were their counsel, even though they're firing us, we still have claim to some of this uh, and we should be paid back. And what's funny is it looks like they've been holding records from the new counsel and not transferring them over. So it, it seems very acrimonious. And so it got as bad as that the judge had to issue an order that said the court strongly encourages a resolution of this issue without us having to intervene, basically saying that they had to give the files back over to the other people um, because it was hindering the the progress of this case. And in some ways, it seems like it might be improving the relationship between WWE and the uh, defendant's counsel or the plaintiff's counsel um, because it, it looks like they're dropping certain things that might have been more related to the old counsel. Uh, approach on things but i'm not sure if it's really getting better it just seems better because anything's better when um both wwe and the council themselves is beating up on the old lawyers so it, it's just kind of some funny little drama going on in the royalties case i was amused by that so uh so basically the old law firm their old lo- old lawyers wouldn't give the new lawyers yeah documents what the the old law firm had an associate attorney who was working on this case he left their firm and went to go join this other firm. And basically, it looks like the plaintiffs just said, we'd, we'd like to stick with the guy we've been working with. And so the old, old law firm was like, fine, but you can't have any of the cases. <laughs> and of course, the argument is that in law, basically, it said that you can't do things that if, if your counsel, need, if your client needs that stuff, you can't stop them from giving it to you, even if you haven't paid them. And of course, they're saying, we're going to pay you. You filed it with the court. You've made it clear that you're going to get paid if there's money to be had. So there really should be no argument at this point. So and, and so the court said to to the old law firm, you better give this stuff over to the new law firm, or otherwise we're going to have to intervene. They said you should resolve this quickly, and they were very clear that they're like, we don't have proof that you have tried to make a re- a resolution to resolve this issue in a re- reasonable and professional manner. So they're basically saying you haven't submitted necessarily an affidavit saying I did this, this, and this, but essentially they started complaining about it. And so the court basically told them to straighten themselves out, and and it would be bad if the court had to get involved. They would be would be very upset. Um, I, I think I've asked you this before, but what what kind of shot do you think Raven and Buff Bagwell have here? I think they always have the shot of just getting some go away money, for sure. It's just settlement. Just money to says we do, we admit no wrongdoing. Here is a small payment, and then you are done, and you can't make any claim. And the, then you sign basically a, an agreement not to ever sue us on the subject again. And what's funny is Edie and Collie, you know, uh, the demolition suit that lasted from 1991 to 2001, they signed one of those things, and they still sued WWE over the CTE. And WWE has basically brought up the fact that they signed all this stuff, basically saying they would never sue on this sort of thing. And so just to say, yeah, go away here. You sign this that that gets rid of those problems. At the same time, someone like Rene, uh, not Rene Goulet, Rene Dupree, he tried to sue them over the royalties issues. WWE produced a document that basically said he couldn't sue and they very quickly withdrew the suit. So there have been cases in the past where if someone proves they don't have any standing at all, they just disappear. So that's one way to get around this. The second way is they come up with a a formula where they're actually paying people on WWE network royalties. I think that's a very low probability. And if it does happen, I think it would turn into something that was a very, um, very mechanical payment and not a very, uh, variable payment. You know, like it would be more like we're, we will pay you a hundred dollars a year (laughs) 
for the rights to use your footage, not we will pay you per viewing or something like that. And I really don't think that's where it's going to land. I really think they'll just litigate the hell out of them until they, they quit or until they win or until they can just settle. Um, they don't they, they don't want to set a precedent, obviously, no. that, that people can get royalties from things that air on the WWE Network. They don't, though they do have to at some point essentially come up with a formula to explain how they could hypothetically do it. Because they basically said it was it was kind of impossible to do, and the court more or less rejected that, saying, no, you could come up with a hypothetical solution. It, it seems like you could do it based on viewership data. That would seem to be it. So then, But then you get into those weird questions of, okay, I watched an episode of Raw. Right. Does that count for everyone who was on Raw? What if I didn't watch your match? What if I watched well, it's, three it's, it's seconds like when of they sell, Raw? It's like when they sell a DVD, isn't it? They They – figure it out somehow but, who's going to get paid what yeah but in that case at least they have a formula where they basically if i don't know if the formulas change but when i looked at the old coliseum records basically it said here's a percentage for every guy and then we we take the multiply the rate of how much should we sell of this times the percentage this guy gets at the dvd and that's just the percentage is just decided by some executive who determines you know how much you should get more or less. I think it's the same way that house show draws are determined, you know, because guys do get different money based on gates sometimes. Yeah. Um, and essentially, I think it's, you know, if you're in the main event, you're going to get this. If you're in this match, you get this. But I mean, I remember Colin Delaney talking about how he was standing on the ramp for like Batista and he gets like a small chunk of change from the Batista DVD because he's in one shot. And wow. So but the difference there is there's a big difference between a DVD, which is a variable cost one time. And streaming, which is, okay, are you counting every view? Are you counting everybody who's on a single program? Because not a lot of people are watching matches. You're usually watching Survivor Series 1988. You know, you're watching a whole event or parts of an event. So it'll, it'll just be curious to see what formula they come up with. Basically, it would turn into probably not anything to do with that. It would probably turn into it's a guaranteed royalties bucket based on a, a percentage of WWE Network sales. And then they just split it across guys with some kind of formula. You know, John Cena is in 25% of our match shows, so he gets 25% of this bucket or whatever it is. He gets 25 shares, and this guy only gets one share, and this guy gets 30 shares. And then whatever the money is, we split it across all those shares. But they basically said it's it's such a burden for them to try and figure out who are all these people, how do we calculate it, and why are we paying them? Because it's not like, you know, NFL Films pays people for showing NFL footage online you know so there's if they don't have a royalties agreement right now it gets into a really funny place and if they did pay royalties on the w network by the way that would make the network even less profitable than it already is which the the thing that i think we talk about it from time to time is that the network is not yet as profitable as pay-per-view was it would be a cost center and they would have to offset that cost center somehow or i've got sorry i've got dave Meltzer in my voice it will not be as profitable as pay-per-view plus Plus whatever they were making on iPay-per-views and whatever they're making on DVD sales, which have declined and probably would have declined anyway to some degree. But, yeah, OK. But but just the idea being it would be another cost and they would then have to allocate. I would guess it would be something like 5%. I think the number they were tossing around was something between 5 and 20% of the WWE Network subscription fees. I would guess it would probably land much closer to that 5 or 10%. But I mean, there would be a strong argument, too, that when you look at actual viewing data, most of it is going on to the guys that are in in the shows today. But the classes that they're certifying for this lawsuit are only very certain small classes of people that existed in the Fed for very certain periods of time. 
So it wouldn't even necessarily be money that would be going to the modern guys. Rusev would not be getting a WWE Network royalty okay, right, right. because he's not he's part of the class action suit. The class action suit only represents guys that had contracts from certain years. What were those years? All right, you're asking these questions. I'm going to have to answer them. Sorry. Well, it's like the early 2000s, right? No, I'll, I'll actually tell you what it was. Um, so they had originally proposed creating a class that said if you had signed between 1991, January 1st, and 1993. I'm sorry, ni- January 1st, 1993 through December 31st, 1993. Or if you had signed between um, – March 24th, 2001, and January 1, 2004, and you had signed one of their WCW Incorporated contracts, which pretty much Buff Bagwell signed and like almost no one else did. That was for people that signed for the subsidiary of WWE that was created after WCW was just, was uh, assets were bought. Okay. So, so this even if they were to prevail here, there's not probably not that many people. And then there was another group of people that uh, they're going to keep anyone who only signed a contract between January 1st, 1999 and January 1st, 2004. So if you signed um, another contract after that, that contract would probably prevail. So it would – so Raven, for instance, is in this because he had signed in like 2000 and then was released in like 2003. So Raven fits in this category very well, and Buff Bagwell um, – actually, I don't know if he'll have standing if they get rid of the other class uh, unless they include him as essentially having a WWE contract when he signed this WCW Incorporated contract. Um, and then it, they make a little note here that they might try to go as far back as August 1996 until April 2004. That they're thinking about adding it there. So you do have guys like Sakota or uh, I, I think Ryan Sakota was one I figured out. And I, I came up with a list of guys one time that fit into this very narrow band of people that signed a contract then but then never resigned. You know, Just Joe might be in there or um, maybe Sean Stasiak would be another guy. You know, people that, that signed during that time. But y- sure, there's not infinite number of them out there especially guys that didn't come back because so many guys came back later so it's just kind of interesting when you put that in perspective um those are the people right now that they're they're in particular uh uh, actually suing on behalf of so could it open the floodgates if they actually got a settlement for sure but just to be really specific that's all there is um and then the only other lawsuit i didn't know that did you know there's a lawsuit between roh right now and the guys that make the belts? No, the, their belts. Yeah. So wow. uh, I didn't know this either. So the the very famous guys that make Bart uh, belts, uh, Milliman and Parks, uh, they basically they made some belts for ROH, and then ROH had this company called the Figures Toy Company, and they made replica belts. And basically, the uh, the original belt makers are saying, well, we copyrighted the design of these belts. We made them. And now you're selling a product that has this other company's copyright on it, but it's our design. And here's the copyright. And so basically they're really suing this figures company that makes the belts, but is part of it. They're also suing ROH. So who's doing the suing here? Is it, is it Reggie Park? Uh, uh, his company, yeah. It's kind of a three-guy LLC. Parks mm-hmm. Milliman. I think it's Dave Milliman, Parks, and uh, – trying to remember the third guy's name uh i just added the lawsuit to the drive actually yes. 
DaveMillikanBelts.com is the is a website that sells belts. Yeah, it seems to be associated with uh, Reggie Parks. Yes, yes, and uh, they are. Let's see here. So if you're a member of the Professional Wrestling Legal Research and Preservation Group, I put up all these um, uh, documents the other day. So it's Parks Millikan and Man, and uh, I think Richard Man uh, might actually or might actually be um, kind of the lawyer in a lot of this too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting, uh, little case, just kind of this argument. And so it's not, you know, it's not like this is going to be, uh, Rico man is what he goes by, but his real name is Richard. Um, and these are the people who've made a lot of the, yeah, they, they, they made, I mean, they're some of the most famous belt makers out there. That's why when people, when this money belt came out, some people asked me, you know, is it made by them? And I said, well, it looks like in this article, like it was some guy in Mexico city. Um, but, yeah, they made lots and lots of belts. And so it's just interesting. And then um, the Sinclair lawyer is representing Ring of Honor in this case. So it is kind of interesting just to have that Sinclair example. And uh, it speaks a little bit to something Dave said the other day, which is, you know, about contract tampering and whatnot, which is uh, why did WWE seem to really jump off ship when ROH complained about contract tampering, maybe even more than the TNA case? And the reason was – the Sinclair lawyer is a lot scarier than the TNA lawyer, essentially, is where that went. And so uh, there's something to be said uh, that it will be interesting to see if these guys prevail in their, their case. I have not sat and read the whole lawsuit yet, so I can't speak to the, the small, small details of why they're suing. But from what I can gather, it's basically we designed these belts, we gave them to you, and then you basically went off and got replica belts made and sold and used our design our design has been copyrighted here's our copyright documents and we never signed the agreement that said you could go make replica belts hmm. so it's a i'm sure there's, there's there's some belt fan who knows exactly what's going on here screaming at their uh at their radio <laughs> or whatever but it, it looks like like almost I'm, I'm looking at dave milliken belts and it's it, it's almost every belt you could imagine from everything from uwf to all the, the ECW belts are here, the Taz belt, like the FTW belt, all these all these WF belts. Yeah, yeah. No, they they are they're U, UFC. They're very very legendary figures in the belt making community, uh, for sure. So it's a it's an interesting lawsuit because it's a copyright suit, but also because it includes a a wrestling organization and it includes an element of design that you don't ever think about, which is actually that is a copyrighted belt design. And that, you know, well, when you when you have some other – there's a difference between the company that and makes – by commissioning and purchasing that belt, you are not purchasing the intellectual property of that belt. It, Is that the right way to say it? It doesn't seem that they purchase the right to copy that intellectual property and sell it on their own behalf as a merchandise. They probably bought the right basically to use it for their federation. But they did not buy the right for them to go and sell the rights to somebody else and let them make replicas of it. And, and do they think they can get so much money from from this lawsuit that it'll it'll be worth possibly damaging the relationship with Ring of Honor? Or, or is that even happening? Is that is Ring of Honor just indifferent to this because they're not really suing Ring of Honor? I think a I don't know if there's that many belts commissioned at different times. It doesn't look like they're suing them over the fact they didn't pay for the belt. It looks like they're suing them basically right. over taking something that's theirs, selling that right to another company, and then having that other company make up money off of it. And so, you know, do you think Figures Figures Toy Company is happy with Ring of Honor that that Ring of Honor didn't foresee this in some way and and, and you know I, take care of it in advance? You know, without having read the whole thing, it's tough to comment. My fi- my feeling much more is that uh, 
they it says that basically I mean, when you look at the nature of the case on the second amended one, it's funny because it says Ring of Honor wrestling is a form of fighting slash wrestling competition that, quote, incorporates wrestling, mixed martial arts and high flying into a sports event slash art form that is broadcast on television, pay-per-view and live events. Wait, but is it real? Well, the winners or champions of Ring of Honor wrestling matches receive a championship belt for the duration of their championship reign. To date, there have been over 20 different champions over 23 championship reigns. Each original championship belt is handcrafted from leather and custom design plates with a 3D raised design. So it basically says that they had entered into negotiations for the production and design of these belts, but they never came to a resolution on the deal. And so while they were still negotiating the terms of it, Figures Company went into a licensing agreement with ROH for the production of the replica belts, but they were using the copyrighted design of these men. Um, Despite not having an agreement for the production of the belts, they commenced with the manufacture and the sale of these things, and then um, they never got the authorization from the company or the approval. And yeah, that's that's the biggest part of this. So that's their claim, basically, is that they were they were negotiating, they hadn't agreed to it, and yet they still went ahead and produced it and started selling these belts without ever actually getting the the agreement from the people that designed them and they had the copyright for the design. And of course, like any lawsuit, this is getting it gets torn into all these tiny corners, like the fact that the LLC that these guys registered didn't appear to be an active LLC in Virginia. And so they had to like hand deliver a letter to Virginia and get it notarized to prove that they were back in compliance with their fees and all that. So, you know, it gets into always these tiny little events on the side at times, but it's interesting kind of story in general. And of course, it's a lawsuit of a Virginia LLC, a, uh, a Maryland company for Ring of Honor, because Ring of Honor Wrestling Entertainment LLC is a limited liability company in Maryland. And then Figures is a Florida company. So then some of the even just the arguments is about the fact that the head of Figures doesn't want to fly up there to go to court hearings. And he keeps asking, can he be on the telephone instead? And the judge is like, nope. <laughs> so it's a, it, you know, it's it, it was an interesting thing I had not read a lot about. It's going on today. I mean, the latest filing i saw was from july 5th of this year so it's it's happening right now in virginia it's being fought over and then a lot of some of the argument too is about whether or not they've claimed damages and so it's not enough just to sue someone you have to claim some you know what are you what were the damages because of the thing they did so and and by the way i'm just looking at the figures toy company website and it looks like there's a, a a category for ring of honor replica belts and when you click on that you see a white empty page <laughs> luckily in in uh the exhibit filings that they did they they took copies of that page before it went down so they have on as of may 2nd of this year they still had it up as what i can tell from exhibit 10 i'm sure you could pull it up through the web archive yes so they used to sell things but uh the fact that they've taken it down should tell you a little bit about how seriously they have to take this suit <laughs> so uh it, it's interesting case and just an area of copyright law i had not thought a lot about but belt designs are just like artwork you know they're they're um they're copyrightable and once you have you can't copy someone else's design so yeah. a lot of you indie feds out there using that golden eagle belt you might want to think twice that's right WWE should, should sue a bunch of really small indies just to make that stop. Perhaps. Perhaps. All their replica painted belts, but anyway. All right. So um, this coming week here, my, my parents are coming to town, so I do not know if I'm going to be uh, recording another episode or not with you. But uh, 
a little taste of Rochester will be up here in Minnesota with me. So if you can think of anything I should have my parents bring with me to uh, remind me of Wegmans or home, please, uh-huh. please suggest something. It would be a good idea. Uh, did you used to work for Wegmans? Never. Oh, you mentioned the grocery. I did. I wish I worked yeah. for Wegmans. I worked for the struggling retailers. I worked for uh, two struggling retailers in particular. And uh, when I went to go Google them to see how they were doing the other day, I discovered they'd gone into bankruptcy shortly after I left them. So I don't know whether – Well, that must have been why. I'm sorry. Not even bankruptcy. They were in bankruptcy when I was working for them. But uh, they, they disbanded completely. Like they shut down 100%. They sold off all their stores, which included the great American Pacific Tea Company, the very first grocery store ever made. Um, and uh, Pathmark. I, I did a lot of work with both of those brands. So some of our, our more New Jersey, East Coast listeners would be familiar with it. Uh, with well, the, they lost your analytic works, and I'm sure they quickly went out of business. Yeah, I, it, that is – I don't know whether it makes me feel better or for worse to know that we did all that work. I left the company. You should put that right in your resume, yeah. And after I left them, they went out of business. But we worked with struggling retailers, and Wigman's is not a struggling retailer. So there's no concern. <laughs> they They had no need for my work. If Wegmans was sponsoring us, I would say they are an excellent uh, grocery store. I will say that even if they they don't sponsor us, because uh, I I miss Wegmans greatly uh, now that. Do you? What do, what do you have in Minneapolis? Uh, Target oh. is based out of here, actually. So Target is like a grocery store here, and so you, is that your is that like the grocery store that you go to? It is. Yeah, I do most of my shopping at Target. It's very it's it's weird because you don't think of Target that way when you're on the East Coast, but um, mm-hmm. uh, out here it's very cheap prices and it's good and and. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.